So, welcome to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Time for our reviews podcast. This is going to be for titles that were released in March 2019. Um, not to sound too dodgy, but it's a three-way tonight uh, with myself, Keith here, and Roddy too. Um, unfortunately, Karen couldn't make it with us tonight. He will be back for the next one, though. But uh, yeah, we're going to go through the comic titles for March. Um, but more importantly, you got to listen right to the end of the podcast. We're going to do our version of a Marvel after credit scene, and you're going to hear a story of the time Keith met Matthew McConaughey. Uh, <laughs> are we? <laughs> edited into the end. Um, yeah, so how are you guys been? Yeah, good. Not too bad. A uh, good couple of weeks. Um, busy at work, and uh, yeah, I've been, been, uh, been reading some, some great stuff over the past couple of weeks. Very Spidey-centric yeah, for the last little while. It has been, and I'm glad to see it. I'm um, becoming more and more of a convert due to your you know, influences. Glad to hear it all, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, <laughs> we were just, uh, just off, off mic talking about uh, last week's release of uh, Symbiote Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it on the previous COD podcast, Codpask. Podcast, yeah, podcast uh, a few weeks back, and it's better than I thought it was going to be. Peter David written uh, it, it slots in right long, after right after my single favorite Marvel story, which is uh, Secret Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which we may have more news on later. Yeah, okay, uh, as well. so uh, the True Believers Spider Man two five two is out Just as well this week. Yeah, first. Uh, so well worth picking up uh, the yeah. True Believers two five two against <clears throat> Spider Man and. Symbiote Spider-Man number yeah, one. Yeah, so we'll be chatting yeah. about that next month, definitely. 100%, yep. Yeah. Um, How about yourself? Big news in the interim for yourself, of course. Yes, all good here. What's the big news? Kickstarter was successfully funded. Oh, that, that old thing. <laughs> that old thing. <laughs> that old thing. <laughs> oh, um, A little bit of something-something. Yeah, um, yeah, it's going really well. Um, it's over target. We've just started stretch goals now, so I'm really, really chuffed. You're still a good really, really ten days, about. twelve days, no, seven days. Once probably six, seven days from six recording. So, hear this, yeah. so we're recording on the Thursday. So uh, we'll yeah. try our best to have this up on the Friday. There's, um, it's been really good. Um, I've just sort of been pretty, just really busy with that. Um, Seem to be getting some away. good media traction as yeah, well. That, yeah, that that takes a lot of work to get all those. But um, I have to say, Donna's been really instrumental in a lot of it as well she's a legend we've both she really is yeah we've both been sort of just kind of hounding people and just trying to get any sort of like little sliver of um yeah yeah for any pr no no so i'll just move your back yeah good for you good stuff no we're not paying paying (laughs) i don't pay for stuff people pay us (laughs) (laughs) but yeah apart from that Working away. No, it's great. Um, it's great to see you're not going through the same levels of stress as last time. No, Kickstarter last must really be. Yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting, uh, interesting method of raising money for mm. you know artistic endeavors. And I know last time you were down to like the last half an hour, yep. sort of yeah. panicking almost. I had um, a lot of friends and family on that one. The thing I really like about this one is um, I told myself at the start I would really like a hundred backers. Mm-hmm. Um, not just like a hundred, like I don't mean a hundred backers. I mean like a hundred people, hundred fans that I can who were not you know? family, who were not yeah, friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of friends and family in the last one, just kind of like you know pushing you over the line. You make your wee book, yeah. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. This one, I sort of just really was like <clears throat> adamant. I really wanted to just focus on finding like fans, you know, and mm-hmm. people that really want to read what I am Put out putting out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was. It's kind of it's it's a, it's a 
it's a crossover with music because you know whenever you you launch an album you know you have a gig yeah you know yeah, if it's, it's if it's half full yeah. with your yeah. family you're like oh <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not sympathy yeah. attendance. But then there's yeah, this, yeah, you know, completely, then there's, completely get that. There's a model in, in music uh, with regard to bands called a thousand true fans, mm-hmm. and the 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 theory is that if you have a thousand true fans, and I think it probably crosses over into any art form, if you have a thousand true fans who will buy anything you release, buy mm-hmm. every pre- piece of merch one time, you know, who will, you know, that you can. That's how you make a living. As, yeah. a, as an artist if you have that you know that there you go you could right. quit that, your job that and, deserves a nice yeah. like nice um, well let's let's make it 100 and turn it into yeah a absolutely yeah. 100% I have to admit I still have to pledge but I will do so before the end of this week 100%. There you go. no you've got 7 days yeah. <laughs> 7 <laughs> days is an eternity running <laughs> don't expect anything um, but, but I'd be pleased to absolutely chuffed if you did I want all your stretchy yeah. goals <laughs> that's a, a totally a totally different conversation um yeah so uh yeah might as well just jump straight into well, some well, comics tell us, tell us how are you how's the story oh, sorry I do mate. well i suppose it ties into one of the first ones we'll be talking about yeah um you know we had a really good march um really strong april so far as well um one of the reasons march was so good is a title we're going to talk about which is detective comics 1000 um which is been our biggest seller since we've opened really yeah in terms of sheer just numbers mm-hmm. um it's it's been our biggest seller um what do you think drove that i think the, the a couple of different things i mean the the variants do help to a degree i mean variants i know you're gonna be shocked to hear this but i don't tend to go down the variant route unless it's batman 50 whenever you go down you go down <laughs> it. yeah absolutely yeah i mean by and large in general i don't tend to collect multiple copies of the same issue but Something about Detective One Thousand seemed to inspire people to buy two, three copies. Um, like we were sort of saying about, like artistically, was it as good as um, Action One Thousand? I'll be honest. Action Comics One Thousand was one of the worst periods in the store since I opened. Really? Not because of okay. sales. The sales were good. I have never been so stressed over ordering a title in because oh, it was right. trying to make sure that you ordered enough for people who wanted all the covers uh, we, we didn't yeah. have as big an yeah. audience then that we do now you know now yeah. people are really good about getting in touch through social media or popping in saying oh I'll take the 1930s cover I'll take the 1960s cover when I was yeah. ordering action comics <laughs> even the day of release I was so stressed because I didn't have quite <laughs> enough of this or enough of that and the last thing you want to do is let people down yeah, yeah. so with yeah. Detective Comics you know the podcast helps as well you know we recommend it put it in people's minds um, but it was much more of a pleasure this time um, and we were chatting earlier about what's going to be the next big issue to hit that milestone I have a feeling it's Batman I but think you're probably right. it's, it's not too far between Neck Batman and, and Amazing Spidey they're, there's clearly they're clearly uh, angling at these things now awesome. so there's a lot of there's a lot of books a few books uh, you know the, the initial books that were were launched by DC and Marvel that are now pushing the next big landmark issue yeah. is the 1000 you know what I mean yeah. which is so I think a lot of them I think you're going to see I mean I, I hate to see it but I would say you can maybe you can maybe see a drop in quality as they try and push numbers through yeah. and, and I think that's probably part of the drive between Marvel's legacy numbering mm-hmm. you know what I mean getting back to that oh definitely and, so it's always you know, in people's minds and I would yeah. I would say as a lot of those books head towards the thousand you're going to see a switch between the current number and back to the legacy number and yeah. as, the, as the core number yeah. and uh, you know, so that's yeah. I don't know if it's a good thing. It's a it's a race to the bottom at the end of the day with regard to quality. But 
It is. I mean, and you know, we'll obviously get into this a bit more with Detective, but I thought Detective was excellent. I thought the quality of it was it really was, high. Yeah, it really was. Um, yeah. But it's interesting as well. You say that about numbering and obviously the big two. I would say the next two big landmarks are actually two indie titles. You've got Spawn 300 in about three months, mm. which for an indie book is incredible. Mm-hmm, that is, yeah. Walking Dead as well. Walking yes. Dead's a 192, oh, so yeah. it's not far yeah. off from 200. So. And Jesus, Robert Kirkman doesn't pull punches when it comes to his number 50 or his number 100. Or could, his uh, number. could stop at 199. Could? Please don't say that. My OCD is <laughs> already wrecked <laughs> by how he finished Invincible at 144. I love it. I love it. Because to me, and I think we've talked about it before, that's, that's a writer who... who has a story in mind yeah. and he's not influenced by industry pressures he goes you know what that's my story yeah you know what I mean? and it wouldn't surprise me if Robert Kirkman <laughs> killed Walking Dead at 198 or 197 it would surprise me just because of the quality of it at the moment I think it's as strong as it's ever been I think you're right yeah, I think that right. you know it's obviously a slightly separate discussion the TV show I think has got really back on form in the last it has. few it months has. Um, but, but I don't. I don't think the book has ever dropped off. That that no. I was just about to say that the yeah. quality's always been high in the book, and you know, for a wee title that was supposed to be Aliens coming into it in issue five, uh-huh, yeah. it's certainly grown um, <laughs> over the years. But um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Walking Dead. The mm. comic does still, it is still better than the show for me. But, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the show started to close yeah. the gap recently. Some really good episodes there. It's, uh, I'm just interested. I mean, and I was interested because he's now got. Uh, he's writing Die 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 he's writing Oblivion Song yeah uh, what else is out there uh, Outcast he's yeah, still writing um, I think that's it at the moment but it also makes you wonder how far ahead is he in Walking Dead I mean is is he is he, is he writing yeah. issue 200 now because it's probably writing issue 230 now yeah, or something you know, so, <laughs> no yeah. Kirkman he's, uh, he's a guy who's got the comic industry sussed out and how, to, he's, and how he's, to do it he's I'm, changing it he's I'm, changing I'm it. starting to think that other I, th- I think that other people are taking note of his approach as well because again there'll be an honourable mention later on with the Oblivion song but the fact that the trade and the single issue came out in the same day mm-hmm. Farmhand was very close together with that yeah yeah. Die looks good it's going to be close together like that yeah but but that's 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 his company that's Image yeah. he's the CEO of Image but that's what I mean but you he know, set the example now other we, people are saying this is possible what we need what the people we need to take notice are the Doomsday Clocks and the Heroes of Crisis and the War of the Realms mm. and the, the Marvel stuff the stuff that you don't want to have fellow artists you know even yeah. Amazing Spider-Man you know they're they're, they're switching between Roberto Ramos and yeah. Ryan Otley you know yeah. uh, Kirkman's artist on Invincible you know what I mean yeah. so you don't want I mean that really upsets me as fellow artists or you know yeah. what I mean so that consistency is yeah. is important and you had that consistency right the way through Invincible, for example, with Otley on it, or yeah. so it's it's not image we need to take that need to take note of that they their the CEO is is the guy who created the way of doing it. Yeah, it's Marvel and DC that need to take note of it. You know, so. no, definitely, I think so. Um, but yeah, that was quite the segue before we actually jump yeah. into the titles. Um, before we jump in, we we have had a little bit of a discussion recently about one of the last things we want to do in this podcast is be repetitive. You know, we. We have championed a lot of titles. Um, these yeah. titles sell well within the store now, and people generally seem to respect our opinions and seem to be digging the stuff that we recommend. But instead of going on another 10 to 15 minute soliloquy about how amazing Die is, how 
Uh, Fantastically what? awesome. I, ca- I only came here to talk about that. Okay, that sound you hear is Roddy leaving. Um, we're not going to talk about Die. We're not going to talk about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, other than to say they are two titles very much at the top of the tree at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of an indie book and in terms of a big two book, like not just a Marvel book, just a big two book. That Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man's outstanding. And to be honest, what's interesting with it, even though I said we're not going to talk about it. Uh, is in the last week alone four new people have jumped on it and asked me to source the back issues um, so Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is almost the biggest Marvel pull at the moment I think that's wow. a great testament to the yeah. quality of the it the only thing that's got me uh, interested in uh, DC's upcoming DCist mm-hmm. is the fact that Tom Taylor's writing it and he's the mm-hmm. writer of Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man yeah. so. and he's also the writer on some of the upcoming uh, War of the Realms yep. one shots and those will be the ones we'll be grabbing again following your uh, your rule of following creators rather than, yeah. than titles yeah, so. no definitely so but we'll, we'll cut it there I mean with Die um, Die's tra- fantastic the trade <laughs> the trade is due really soon yeah. so if you but, were a little um, bit late coming on they were certainly taking a break as well they're going to do it well it's interesting because with Die I mean Kieran Gillen's obviously worked on the, the game that's going to come out from it you uh-huh. know, the rule book and so forth and I think we're all waiting on that as well. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of uh, jumping into that because I'm, when it comes to the likes of tabletop gaming and stuff like that, I'm nowhere near as advanced as certainly Keith would be. Um, I don't know your experience with those sorts of games, but Die is something I'm more than happy to just jump into and be like, you know, explore that a little bit. Um, but yeah, as I say, the trade for Die is due next month and it's going to be in as part of Image Do It from time to time where their first book comes out at £9 price point and we can't tell you how much of a steal that is for Die. Yeah. No. <laughs> I do hope they include the back matter as well. Yep. Um, because that's really yeah, interesting in each issue. Is, yep. um, so even though we said we weren't going to talk about Dan Friendly Neighborhood with Spider-Man, yeah. that's our no, speed I think, um, I think that's cool because we, um, we do want to like have like a real mix for yeah. every month. We don't just want to be like, okay... You haven't read Die? Here's Invitors, what happens. <laughs> Die, um, all the stuff we like, we want to mix it up and get like... Go to go to different places in Marvel. Go to our different indie stuff. But then you know what? In a couple of months, we can check back in on Die. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Still be awesome, obviously. Yeah, and I, I mean, what we've been talking about uh, this week is uh, rather than it just being you know Alan talking about you about DC books and me talking about you about Marvel books and Roddy talking about Image books, is trying to because we all read all the books for the most part. Well, not all of them, but trying yeah. to make sure that we all read. Yeah. The books that we're reviewing, so yeah. We so can, it's more of a discussion yeah, exactly. rather than just you know, a. I've yeah. read this. Oh, that sounds great. I must get yeah. that and rinse and repeat. And what's uh, first on the list? Well, first, yeah, as, as I alluded to just that in the little intro there, Detective One Thousand. Um, so, just in case you didn't know, it's there in the front cover, landmark issue. Um, yeah, ninety-six page giant. So straight away, it was bigger than Action Comics. Action Comics was the eighty pages. Um, with Detective we got in all the variants as I said it sold really really well Um, the idea for Detective 1000 was probably about 85 pages worth of shorter stories by some of the top creators and then the last maybe 9 to 10 pages are all setting up the story for what's going to move forward from here which is lovely it makes it current yeah definitely and to be honest just as I was saying there about Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man before Detective 1000 we had 8 people with it on their pull list Detective we now have 19 people with it. Yeah. Like a lot of uh, people have used this as a jumping on board. Yeah. 
That said, I was on Detective previously and then jumped off Detective yeah. because the story changed to, to, to a place that I wasn't necessarily enjoying as much. But I'm back on again yeah. uh, with this 1000 and really interested in this. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't played all the Arkham games, mm-hmm. uh, but the character of Arkham Knight kind of intrigues me a little bit. So Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. I was a little bit. Yeah. I only played two. I jumped off after... What was the second, second one? Second one's Arkham City. Yeah. I think City was just a bit too big and broad for me. I, I think was that's like, right. Yeah, I, I yeah, started it, but I haven't like, really... I don't think I ever yeah. want to play another game like that. Um, whereas, like, Asylum was just so concise. And yes, it was lovely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, but I think um, that's what that maybe annoyed me a wee bit. Yeah, but, um, yeah, knowing nothing about him, I did... Like, I'm not a big Batman reader or anything. Or You're familiar with who he is, though? Yeah, Batman. Yeah, Batman. Yeah, like I'm, Batman. I'm aware of his work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like jumping on at the end, I was like, I was more interested in seeing, okay, which creator is doing this? Who's doing the covers for each each um, decade? That's what I wanted to know, you know. Um, so I was like, I wanted to see Snyder and Capullo. Kevin Smith's story is fantastic. Yep. Um, and there's like a whole lot more to. Yeah, you know, you have Jeff Johns in there. You have Tom Keane in there. You have Christopher Priest in there. You've got um, Denny O'Neill in there. You've got Paul Dini in there. You've got Pete J. Tomasi in there. I mean, the 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 issue kicks off with uh, Capullo and Schneider, which I think is only fair given that to me they really yeah. brought Batman back to the mass. Okay. To the masses mm, with. Right. The new Fifty Two run, I think Morrison's run you either liked it or you didn't, and it was quite convoluted. Morrison's run was so it was Batman R.I.P. It was introducing Damien um, with the Black Glove saga. It then led on to Batman Incorporated. Like Morrison's saga was very much six years, and that was across three different titles. He, he wrote okay. Batman and Robin yep. with Dick Grayson as Batman. The best. Um, not true, uh, <laughs> but a great run nonetheless. <laughs> But no, with, with I think with um, Morrison's run, you really had to pay attention. With Snyder's run, it was very much designed for, if you've never read Batman before, start here. Um, so I thought it was only fair they kicked it off, and I thought it was a great little story about the detective skills. Though it also kind of brings, maybe makes a mockery of the idea that Batman is the world's greatest detective. Very much so. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like that, but at the same time, you see all of his skill and his detection skills and you do. working things out. But I do like the ending of it, that Schneider's always had this idea that Batman will live forever, the, mm-hmm. the, the idea of it anyway. And it ends with someone saying, like, you know, look through some of the cases, take a look, and you'll see you're always only at the beginning. I think it's I think it's interesting, the first story, because it is kind of a companion book, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, My favourite. That uh, the, first, the, first, the first story takes Batman down a peg or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting way of looking yeah. at it. I mean, he's even outsmarted by your favorite character, Detective Chimp. Detective Chimp, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, that's uh, there's a few characters there. Mostly, I recognise the question and Hawkman and Hawk Girl and Martian Manhunter, and Detective Chimp, and uh, uh, what do you call him? Oh, what do you call him? Uh, uh, elastic. Elastic Man. Dude, um, not Plastic Man. The other one. Elongated the Elongated Man. man yeah, <laughs> who you know. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a really, really solid start, but then for me it jumped up a notch with the second story, um, which Kevin w- Smith. when I saw Kevin Smith was writing the story, Kevin Smith to me, I don't know if he's always a natural fit for Batman, because obviously he's quite a funny guy, he's quite concise. He is the fat man of Batman. But saying that, his Daredevil run 
I believe it yeah. was uh, Guardian Devil. Yep. Was, yep. It was excellent. It was. was Joe Casada on art for that. But this story here, you can see why they gave Jim Lee to be the artist yep. um, on this. I think this was a really, really great story about turning something negative into a positive. Um, the storyline basically concerns Bruce trying to track down the gun that killed his parents. And well, so I think you're you're. I know. I see where you're going with this, but I think what needs to be mentioned is that the whole way through the story, you're seeing uh, historical fights from Batman's career knitted yeah. into the story, and in each one of those fights, he's always been slashed across the. He's chest. always been slashed across the yellow bat symbol. Yeah, that was all. That was a Frank Miller idea. He introduced that idea mm. of. If you put a bright symbol in your chest, people will aim for that instead of your face. And Frank Miller did exactly the same with Punisher. Yeah, that's why the skulls in his chest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, I like the idea that you know, you've always throughout Batman's career and throughout the whole run on the character, he's always been obsessed with his parents' death, and that's essentially why he became Batman. But I like that even Alfred is saying like you know adding the gun that kills your parents to your trophy collection that's too grim even for you but that's not even that's not actually what he's doing he melts the gun down turns it into a chest the plate chest plate behind the bat symbol which yeah. I think's great you know and you know I, I mean this in the nicest possible way because I'm a big Kevin Smith fan but I didn't really think he was capable of a story like this in 10 pages I have to say I was really surprised at the quality of this it's a, it's a in, in some ways it's a sentimental story mm-hmm. and Kevin Smith is nothing if not sentimental because you listen to his podcast what was formerly Fat Man and Batman is now Fat Man Beyond yeah uh, and that man ends up in tears more often than not on that <laughs> podcast <laughs> just talking about you know whenever he's talking about Captain Marvel whenever yeah. he's talking about Batman whenever he's talking about movies I you suppose know. it's maybe something you don't really see in his in his actual work yeah but maybe, it's his maybe. personality and I mean when was this you know when was this written because uh, obviously the big thing about Kevin Smith last year was the fact they had a heart attack. Yeah. And what's that symbol doing but protecting Batman's heart? Mm. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, I do think that for me it's between that story and the, uh, Jeff Johns one we'll come to later for what was my personal favourite. Um, after that you've got a nice wee story by Paul Dini uh, with Dustin and Gunn on artwork. You had mentioned this one yourself, Keith. Is uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was. I enjoyed it. Obviously, Paul Dini, the the brain behind uh, the single best uh, TV representation of Batman, Batman the Animated Series. And there's yep. a there's a there's a sniff of that to this. Oh, big time. Um, but the the whole the crux of the story is the legend of uh, of Nut Brody, who is a professional uh, lackey to villains. Uh, but every time he's involved with a villain. He keeps screwing it up, so all the villains are sort of after him, but no one can find him. And the crux of it is that the reason that no one can find him is that uh, Nut Brody is a character like Matches Malone, played by not just Batman, but by Batgirl, by uh, Dick Grayson, by various members of the Bat family. And of course, the only member of the Bat family that's yet to play him is Damien. But uh, <laughs> but Nut Brody at this point is retired. He's supposedly dead. So uh, the punchline is, of course. Damien dressed up as the uh, the out of shape uh, sort of awkward looking Nut Brody and he's they just call me Nut Brody Jr so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's a nice one um, what did you think of the Warren Ellis story? yeah I really like that one yeah um, didn't really expect it I suppose Warren Ellis doing a, a short anthology tale was something I didn't expect yeah uh-huh. but um, I love Becky Cleanan's art 
Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Jordi yeah. is it Jordi Belair did the colors as well. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely gorgeous, like kind of like a wee throwback almost. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of him trying to. At the start, he goes not in my haunt, and then at the end, he's like, I'm. Uh, I can't remember what it is. He's like, I haunt. Yeah, look at me trapped in this place. All I do is haunt the living, and then he's like trying to get through to this criminal. Is that what you want for yourself? Yeah, he sort so, of. Yeah, he, he makes use of his. The idea of the Batman was to strike fear into the yeah. hearts of criminals, and he makes use of that. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, in a way, um, Jordy Belair, who of course is the writer on Buffy. Oh. Um, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, really, really lovely. Um, it shows Batman's tactical side as well. Yeah, uh, you know he's he's got a plan for everything. Uh, definitely, the the Danny O'Neill, Steve Epting story. Steve Epting, of course, fantastic artist. Um, yeah. Was a weird one. Currently on Action Comics. Yeah, yeah. and uh, previously Captain America and a few other bits and pieces. But it really, it kind of it kind of disturbed me a wee bit. And I don't know if it's because of that Batman bitch slap and Robin meme, <laughs> you know, but. Look at that! There's a panel there, and not one of these criminals. So it's about you know Leslie Tompkins and and uh, and Bruce or Batman or uh, are visiting Crime Alley. I like guess the anniversary of Bruce's parents. But every one of these hits is an open-handed hit. He never at no point does Batman punch anybody. It's just these open-handed slaps. <laughs> Look. It's so where where's the pie bubbles or zaps or <laughs> exactly flag, you so. know but I mean it's clear that that that, that this is a, a moment for Bruce these kids have gone yeah, awry yeah. Uh, you know it starts with Leslie Tompkins going Bruce no which I think is interesting because he's in the Batman costume the whole time and Leslie Tompkins yeah, is shouting yeah. Bruce Bruce <laughs> you know so. I think um, the core thing I sort of got from it um, was each kind of writer and artist have found what they kind of find this little thing about Batman that they love mm. and they just went for it like Kevin Smith was like okay I like this this idea that yeah. he has this yeah. thing that's really personal to him um, and then in, like say the Warren Ellis one it was okay Batman has these ideals or else they wanted to show what the character kind of means or what the what Batman and Bruce yeah. Wayne wep- yeah. represents almost um, they that that Danny O'Neill's story is interesting because we're standing in Crime Alley obviously where, where Bruce's parents were killed yeah and uh, I mean the classic images of, of Bruce cradling his parents' bodies you know whereas the end of the story is Leslie Tompkins cradling the people yeah. who Bruce has just who Batman has just beaten the crap out of <laughs> you know it, it seemed like a wee bit of an overreaction to, to me yeah, you know but yeah, then like where is Batman going to be in his most vengeful but in Crime Alley where his parents were murdered and that leads us on to the Christopher Priest Neil Adams story which I wasn't overly fond of personally um, I do wonder though if it's just like a snippet of a bigger story that maybe will come in a mini series perhaps um, it does end as you said with the words the beginning dot 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 mm-hmm. but you know I think Neil Adams always likes to go back to the likes of Tali Al Ghul and Raz Al Ghul I think that's where he did a lot of his best work with Batman in the 70s um, and so forth it's the only one of the stories that references a previous issue yeah uh, all is, the rest are very self-contained yeah. um, but it's just it's interesting <laughs> as we talked about earlier that this this trained uh, League of Assassins guy who's found dead killed by his his, his brothers 
the League of Assassins was corrupted by finding Bruce Wayne's wallet whenever he was he was there to, to train as an assassin you know and then Batman stands up to you know to I guess defend the whole thing at the end and it's a weird one definitely a weird one yeah, you jump from there to Bendis writing Batman that's a great story this is um, <laughs> fantastic art yeah so Alex, Alex, Alex Maleev uh, again Captain America collaborator uh, with, uh, this is going to be Daredevil the team maybe? doing Event Leviathan as well isn't it uh, is it Alex yeah. Maleev doing art of course yeah okay I think they did some Daredevil stuff together. did Jessica did Jones together didn't they yes they did yeah oh, that's what they nice. did yeah you're right uh, but yeah about. like absolutely fantastic story that one great story yeah. called I Know and then this doing Batman uh, the only thing that I sort of would have liked would have been if they'd linked it to Batman Beyond because Bruce is about the right age and the Penguin is about the right age uh, and I love Batman Beyond <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll do a Batman Beyond one for us uh, maybe we'll collaborated, see that. they collaborated <laughs> on Daredevil as well yeah, uh, yeah, they were Daredevil collaborators in some of Bendis's fantastic uh, Daredevil stuff. Um, so yeah, and it was kind of funny, you know, because <laughs> you know the the idea is that Penguin always knew that Bruce was Batman. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was all like, "I would have brought all the penguins." <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, you sort of like you let him off, you know, and you're like, "What were you going to do with all the penguins?" Uh, but yeah it was good it was yeah good. I just had a good wee sort of uh, conclusion with like Oswald shouting and you know who you you assume is a crippled Bruce Wayne who apparently doesn't speak anymore and he's like I knew I was always smarter than you I want you to know your only life because of me and then Bruce just like zaps him <laughs> and he's like I knew you knew Oswald you know Oswald. how long has Bruce not spoken just for that moment <laughs> but uh, that's preparation right there well there you see that's the opposite <laughs> of the story at the start yeah. where they sort of took Batman back a peg or two you know what I mean and they're, t- they're bringing old Batman up a peg or two and this was one I really enjoyed I thought the the art pairing was a little odd at first mm. Kelly Jones to me is very sort of Batman Nightfall era long ears horror um, sort of imagery but uh, this was one written by Jeff Johns called The Last Crime in Gotham and this was essentially Bruce's birthday wish, mm-hmm. which was the whole family working together. It was, you know, the end of the Joker. It was maybe a... You know, and it's, it seems to be his actual family. He's married to Catwoman. Damien's yeah. his son. There's another kid who's calling him dad. Yeah. Uh, it just sort of ends with, like, the, the case ending. And then and Batman's Batman saying, like, it's time for family now. Uh, the Joker's son appears to have killed everybody all the time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, J2. Uh, yep. Yeah, so I thought that was a really good wee one. Then you had James Tinney in the fourth. Um, which this one seemed to focus quite a lot on um, sidekicks. I actually thought that one was really sweet. Yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah. It's just a wee short sort of fa- four pager, five pager. The art kind of reminded me of um, New Frontier. And it was particularly um, Darwin by... Cook. Yeah. Particularly focused around a young, a young Dick Grayson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whenever. Bruce was just taking his first ward, uh, juxtaposed against you know Nightwing's later career. Um, yeah. Then we move on to Tom King's story, uh, Batman's greatest case. This was another one I thought was really really strong. I love all the the banter at the start, where all the Robins have all met up, and it's like Richard, Damien, do you know? He's like, I know a lot, kid. You're going to need a little more specificity. Yeah, it's the um, entire family, isn't it? Yeah, and they're just sort of being like, you know, 
You have many fine attributes, Richard, but you're not the greatest detective. Sure, but I thought I'd at least be like the third greatest detective. You are the eleventh greatest, and you're sort of filming in your own mind who's talking because all the the sort of narration it doesn't specify panel, who's talking. Yeah. But I really, I really enjoyed that exchange between bad girl and bad woman. Yeah. Okay then, how old are you? It doesn't matter. You're a woman. I'm a girl. I want to know the difference. I've been to war. Have you been to war? War. Pfft, I've dated Dick Grayson. You dated Dick Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> Even like with Cassandra Cain and stuff, it's like all they do is talk. Yes, you don't talk. No, I like you. <laughs> it's uh, it's really good. And then the, the double bridge spread, uh, which I guess is the end point of the the anthology. Yeah. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. the only word is Batman straight face saying, "Cheese," <laughs> as, they, as they have a photograph taken. Well, of half his face saying cheese. <laughs> they have a What's interesting about what's very interesting about this though is that someone tweeted at Tom King and said when does this story take place because Dick Grayson's back to being Nightwing Batgirl's in her newest outfit uh, Catwoman looks to be back beside Bruce you know so a lot of people are speculating and then he, just, re- there, he yeah. just replied with a hmm dot 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 uh, to me I mean I didn't even wonder I think it's it's sort of an evergreen the whole seems, it, it seems yeah. timeless but yeah, exactly. just the fact he replied with that I thought that, that, what, that, what that does doesn't satisfy people though. what is the score with a dog Bat dog? That's his. Bat hound. Bat hound. I don't know. Bat hound. Damien stuff. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. I thought he had a big old dragon monster thing. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I thought that was a really sweet story. Then it finishes off with uh, some beautiful art, different artists doing big spreads. Jason Faybook, Amanda Connor, um, which is all leading through the story, leading to um, the reveal of the Arkham Knight, Mm -hmm. which is where the story is going to go from here. But yeah I really I, I really yeah. dug this last bit because it just included every single villain from 80 years you know there's Penguin there's Two-Face there's Hush you know there's Man-Bat there's Man-Bat yeah. Talia Ra's al Ghul Catwoman Poison Ivy Talon from Court of Isles you've got Bane um, you've got Joker you've got Killer Croc you know it just it really does highlight the sort of rich tapestry of all the but I think the point is there that it's they're trying to tell you that that Arkham Knight belongs in that pantheon of yeah. villains, like you know, despite well, the fact we don't know who yeah. he is. So. Well, I look forward to there being more of yeah, that because great, uh, I great thought the issue. first issue was good after that as well, one thousand and one. Great that's a issue. Discussion for another time. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot of uh, <coughs> opening and closing of uh, comic bags. You will yeah. indeed. We like we like to have the issues in front of us as we go through this. Um, but yeah, so we'll move away from a Batman event and on to a Spider-Man event. I'll let you take point in this one, Keith. So we're looking at uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, which uh, in March kicked off Nick Spencer and Humberto Ramos's uh, Haunted, which they've been teasing now for, for a few weeks, uh, where two complete issues in and one 17.HU issue in. Um, I've got the 17 and 18 in front of me now um, so the story follows uh, follows Craven the Hunter who of course is uh, one of uh, Spider-Man's oldest foes from one of his one of his rogues gallery mm-hmm. uh, but Craven's starting to feel Craven's been through a lot uh, over the past oh god 40, <laughs> 50, 60 years um, again elastic time right here <laughs> uh, <laughs> copyright <Keith> but, uh, <laughs> definitely not but uh, you know Craven I think is starting to feel his edge Craven has wanted to die and died because he wanted to die and is now back to life not necessarily that he wants to be there but uh, 
the over the past few issues, uh, the, the the prequel sort of stuff, Taskmaster and Black Ant have been collecting animal-based villains yeah. uh, from the Marvel universe. Um, the scorpions, the uh, the black cats, the lizards, the you know all of those villains that that model themselves on on animals. Um, he's been working side by side with Arcade, and uh, the last of his. I think hundred cloned sons. He uh, he needed an heir because he's killed off his entire family. Because uh, Craven's good like that. Uh, he needed an heir, so he cloned he cloned himself a hundred times, and then he set the hundred clones to prove themselves. Uh, and the one uh, the one that survived battle was the to one. the death. Well, no, it wasn't actually. They were all sent <laughs> off to battle animals, except for this one lad who decided actually the biggest battle that I can. I can have is against 99 of myself so he killed off all the other fellas and presented the skulls to his dad and he went you're my heir <laughs> so Spider-Man's a wee bit confused as to why there's a younger Craven a Craven that looks an awful lot like the Craven he met at the, the peak of his being. Peter wasn't very well at this point no, was he? Uh, and he had that always, Parker that, flu yeah I mean that, well that's interesting is because all of the best Spider-Man stories have Peter starting with the sniffles yeah. <laughs> you know, you know you're, it's all going downhill from there um, so Craven has, 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 has paired up with Arcade effectively he's created this theme park and Central Park he's put a force field over it jammed all of these villains in there Spider-Man's in there and it's effectively these big game hunters you know that these these sort of dicks the sort of dicks that you see in photographs you know with their, their feet on the neck of a giraffe oh, yeah. that, that guy Steven Spielberg in front of that dinosaur man <laughs> it's know? like a, what do you, what's that film where he's like man is the most dangerous animal um, and Zodiac uses it too and the Zodiac was like inspired uh, I'll think it'll, it'll come to me there's a movie it's called like, Hard Target. No, no, it's that's it's, a John Claude Van Damme movie. That's where like uh, these rich. It, it, this is almost a little bit like that. Oh, so yeah. these rich guys are basically yeah. given free reign. Well, yeah. So there's an element of that as well. Where so Craven has has taken a dangerous lot, game, taken a lot of money off it, yeah. these uh, these big game hunters from all around the world, and he's created robot bodies for them that they can. Uh, yeah, like avatars. Almost. Yeah, like avatars that they can they can inhabit through these headsets. You know, they're they're in Central Park. They're in no danger whatsoever because it's these robot bodies. They're back in their hotel, you know. Yeah. You know, and they're they're hunting these these various things for for sport, and it seems to be Craven's last big last big thing. Meanwhile, you know, young Craven is 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 hunting Spider Man, and it's it's a really it's a really I'm really enjoying it. The most dangerous game. Uh, yeah, there's just an element of that. I'm really enjoying uh, what Spencer's doing with this. Um, it runs. It's going to run right through to Amazing Spider-Man 22 in May, um, and it's just a good, solid Spider. Craven has never been my favorite villain. Yeah, uh, even even in the cartoon, he was a yeah, bit, he's, he a, was a, he's bit, a bit vanilla. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Craven's but last hunt. Definitely, he's, yeah. um, he's sort of. Um, I don't know if he gets his. Jew almost yeah because he didn't he die that's why we haven't seen him well that was like Craven's last time. hunt he was, yeah, he was so. killed and buried you know he, he dressed up as Spider-Man but, um, he killed and buried maybe buried Spider-Man and then dressed up in the definitely, costume definitely an, an interesting character but um, he is he is I don't know why he doesn't ever but I think this is um, this is a great the first couple of issues have been great and then yeah. of course in issue 18 they sort of well issue 17 uh there's a there's a lot of black cat in it. 
Yeah. And then that segues yeah. into issue seventeen dot issue, which uh, you were very fond yeah, of. Yeah, that was. I mean, the big surprise for me with this was going into it. I didn't know if the dot issue issues would be that important. They were all going yeah. to focus on a different character, and I thought, did you really need that? I almost thought it would be a distraction from the main title. We've got me as they're all written by Nick Spencer. Yep. Yeah. So you know that you're talking earlier, obviously, about continuity and the frustration can be when you know someone else writes something within a story or draws something else. But I thought the black cat issue was brilliant. I mean, I I, I remember one moment specifically in it where she's she's trying to rescue. It's Kurt Connors, isn't it? It's Billy Connors. Yeah, Billy Connors. Connors Kurt Connors' yeah. son, the lizard's son. And uh, she's about. She could escape. She could run away, and then she just has this real moment of. Damn it. she chose not to yeah. and even though she knows and you know you can almost tell that she blames knowing Spider-Man <laughs> for this moral yeah. conscience yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like oh, a style. damn um, it Peter will never forgive me if I just leave there, yeah. wasn't there a bit where she goes through like their his, their history together and she's like god damn it I hate this guy yeah and it's, <laughs> I mean it's 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 interesting what Marvel have been doing with the Black Cat recently because I mean obviously we had the the whole the where she realized, in the early run of yeah, Amazing Spidey, yeah. where she realized that where she confronted Peter, yeah, confronted him about the fact she didn't know who he was. Yeah, um, but uh, they've just released, as we said, Amazing Spider-Man two five two as the True Believers, which is the the first issue of the saga of the Elaine costume after. And at that time, Pete and uh, Felicia were, were together. Were they? No, they were together. They were yeah. together. She was in love with Spider-Man, but not in love with Peter. Uh, and symbiote Spider-Man, we're seeing a wee bit of that as well, but we're seeing an element of. Of Felicia trying to get to know Peter and meeting Aunt May and going to you know Uncle Ben's grave side and uh, so uh, and she's in the current book you know the Amazing Spider Man books yeah. and she's got her own solo book coming out yeah uh, first so they're ongoing yeah. Yeah. Um, in in part two of Haunted uh, which is Amazing Spider Man number eighteen we see a scene that becomes significant where the Gibbon who's always been a joke villain uh, for Spider Man who is again a joke a, no more. Uh, yeah. a, uh, who's always been a, a like I say, yeah one of those uh, like a comedy villains, relief yeah, comedy, villain comedy relief there. villain and he's in there as an animal based villain and he's not really coping very well and Spider-Man gets him out of trouble and leaves him down and at the point he leaves him he leaves him down Gibbon has the choice to either go with Spider-Man or go with the Vulture one of another one of Spider-Man's old villains is his first ever villain actually Vulture yeah. if I recall um and Gibbon chooses to go with Vulture and we see we can't talk about it now because it's not a March book it's an April book uh, but we'll see the we'll see the the offshoot of that in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 18.hu and that's a fantastic read that's absolutely brilliant one of the best one of the best books that I read and almost uh, a standalone you know it's it's, almost but as I say it it segues off of this it segues off issue 18 so kind of sorry to interrupt but um, I was just going to say we uh, I can't remember the annual. It was the was it number Spider-Man three. Two, yeah. but no, it was yeah. the um, these issue stories reminded me of the Batman annual. Yeah, oh, by yeah. Tom Taylor. Like Alfred just story. We, yeah, we little like pockets of yeah. just really yeah. like moral... oh, pockets of story. Even the Amazing Spider-Man annual. The yes, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Is exactly. that what it was called? Or what we just made that ourselves. I love the idea of it being called Symbiotes Night Out. Um, but no, I know what you mean. That That's sort of what I meant by being almost a standalone. It obviously yeah, works yeah. perfectly as part of a larger narrative. But you could always just read that book. You could do know about it. Everything yeah. about the Gibbon you've ever needed to know. And, you know. But I mean, likewise, you could read Spider Man 18 
and not know what the Gibbons fate is going to be. Yeah, and not worry about it. But but I am so glad. I mean, uh, Marvel have done have done the 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 point this and point that. They yeah. did it for Edge of Ultron, which was dot AU. They did it for Monsters Unleashed, which was dot dot yeah. MU. Yeah. And I've never really taken them up before, but because Nick Spencer's writing them, because the yeah. guy who writes the court title is writing them, I thought. Meh. And the, you know they segue so beautifully off so yeah. so issue seventeen dot issue segues beautifully off issue yeah. issue seventeen you can do without it but it adds value issue eighteen dot issue segues off you can do without it it adds value so yeah. I'd recommend them. Now we've got nineteen issue this week which is the lizard so oh really yeah, yeah. and the lizard's been fairly One of my favorite characters fairly important in uh, in, yeah. uh, in Spider Man yeah Spider Man's run up until now the Nick yeah. Spencer run so. Yeah, I think I think this event so far hunt has been great. So it has. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it's missed a beat. Um, Amazing Spider Man is our our top um, pull for Marvel. As I say, friendly neighborhoods catching it up, but um, there have been a couple of people have maybe you know been slightly suspicious of the dot HU issues. We do still have a few of them in the shop, but they are as as Kate says, they add value to this overall narrative. I would have I would have been one of the suspicious ones. They weren't on my list, whatever. Because well, I think yeah. we all were. I think yeah. remember whatever po- I can't remember what podcast it was. We were. I definitely remember there was a like a kind of um and an on about it. We were like, do we really need those? Yeah. But, my God, yeah, they're. I would say they're essential. Yeah, to I would be say honest. so. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so that was amazing, Spider Man, and uh, we'll move into another one that feels like a. We're sticking with Spider Man. Yeah, it feels like a very celebratory eighty years of Marvel Spidey event. I think this is one we've we've all looked forward to for a while. Um, I'm going to try not to talk too much about this because I read number two today and I don't want to confuse details alright so uh, so we're talking about from today. the 60s to the 70s yeah <laughs> but you but well I suppose they are yeah. well we're talking about Spider-Man I'm, Life Story yeah, yeah we are indeed Spider-Man Life Story Chip Zdarsky Mark Bagley uh, beautiful front cover you know that sort of you know green cover with Spidey swinging along next to the sort of attack choppers very Vietnam era mm-hmm. um, that's exactly what it is because the, 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 the story is very much the war at uh, home. involved in that and uh, it starts in 1962 uh, Zdarsky we know Zdarsky is a fantastic writer Bagley is one of my favourite Marvel artists I think he draws Spider-Man like no other mm-hmm. uh, he, he draws him lean very he athletic he draws him athletic and he you know, he's, he's always in like Always emotion, crazy yeah, He's always emotion, yeah. yeah, exactly. He's, I really love the way Bagley draws Spider Man. So, I guess this will be the first time Bagley's drawn him in, in the 60s. So, in 1962, they're very, you know, the one thing you don't see very often in Marvel Comics is a year. There's always an indication of an era, but never a year. And what this story is doing is in 1962, Peter Parker was bitten by. Yeah. This story starts in 1966. So, Peter Parker has been Spider Man for four years. Uh, and we we've already mentioned and you joke about it about elastic time but elastic time is critical <laughs> to marvel okay and yeah. what this story does is it it gets rid of elastic time so we're the the spider-man life story is going to be spider-man in the 60s mm-hmm. spider-man in the 70s 10 years later he's 10 years older spider yeah. in the 80s you know so that's what it's going to do so by the time we get to our current era spider-man is going to be in his, his 70s i would imagine um you know, so this this story covers the sixties and does so very very well. Uh, we see uh, just one page on the death of Uncle Ben and the origin, and then we see that Peter and they, they've Bagley's done fantastically because uh, if you if you look at the original Spider Man stuff, 
Peter's always in a white shirt and a waistcoat, you know, an open waistcoat, and he's he's wearing that and this, you know, and uh, Harry's in his polo neck. Harry, Harry Osborne's in his polo neck. Clearly, the uh, the symbol of a rich person. Yeah, yeah, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing <laughs> students. We're seeing students uh, protesting against the Vietnam War, and then we've got the ultimate capitalist and Norman Osborne in his open top car and. Gwen Stacy and Miles Warren, who will eventually become Jackal, who is uh, is their biology teacher. So we're seeing the first meeting of, of Gwen and, and Peter, uh, who you know was known as, as Peter's ultimate love, and Peter started working at the, the bugle. Iron Man is involved in the Vietnam War. We see, uh, of course, yeah, yes. the presence of industrialist Tony Stark's personal bodyguard, because at that time nobody knew Stark was was Iron Man. Um, and then there's the question as to whether or not Captain America should be in Vietnam because he's the ultimate soldier. But of course, at this stage, Captain America's just been unfrozen from the ice. He, as far as he's concerned, yeah. World War Two's just finished. He's like fucking hell, another war. <laughs> they want to be getting involved in that. And it's all set against the backdrop about uh, of Peter's uh, internal struggle. Peter's internal struggle, but also Peter's arch nemesis, Flash Thompson, at the time. Uh, and Flash is enrolled, and he's he's yeah. he's going off to fight in Vietnam. And it's interesting because if you read the comics from the time, Peter's really snarky. Peter will, yeah. will, will the way Peter talks to people, you're you're kind of going, oh, Jesus. He was kind of a dick. He was kind of a dick, you know. And like, he, and the writer was kind of a dick. Yeah, Brian, exactly. Brian and, yeah, exactly. So he, you know, so Peter's representing against the protesters against the Vietnam War. We all know what the mm-hmm. story was of the Vietnam War. Probably a war that should never have happened. A war that was never won. Um, and Peter represents that side of things but he's really snarky and then suddenly he realises actually this guy I've grown up with he may have been a bully but he's going off to potentially give his life I yep. may never see him again you know yeah. um, and then and this is something I really enjoyed as you know someone who's obviously not a seasoned Spider-Man reader but you know the whole fact that Flash Thompson loves Spider-Man Oh, that, no, I mean, that's, that's one of the yeah, ultimates. Yeah. You know, Flash Thompson is the president of the Spider-Man fan club. <laughs> that's it. You know, he, he's he's, always, he's, he's Peter, always so much yeah. like, oh, Parker, what are you, you doing? Know, and in fact, in fact, that's what inspired him to go off the fight. And that's, that's it. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because you see Peter obviously Doesn't struggling mean. with, should I go, should I join this? And Classic Flash is already... Classic responsibility. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Flash has went, well, I'm going to join because this is what Spider-Man would do. Yeah. do. You know, and he's literally saying it to his face. And they don't mess about in this story because Peter's just met Norman Osborn and immediately Norman Osborn has figured out that Peter is Spider-Man and, yeah. and he threatens his life the and thing where they're in the bar yeah he's like nice he's, nod to a pumpkin there as well. he's talking he's talking to him at the bar and he's like look look up there and it's a pumpkin it's a pumpkin bomb yeah. the uh-huh. bottles yeah. it is fantastic that's great and it's so that's what I'm saying they're no they're, they're, they're clearly that's the greatest hits you know they're, they're going through yeah. they're going yeah. through Bang! Peter is awkward, dark. Peter is friends with Harry Osborn. Peter knows Norman Osborn. Uh, Peter is and Flash have a relationship. Green Goblin, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, and we all know, of course, that uh, Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin. I love it whenever Norman Osborn pulls on the Green Goblin. That's the Green Goblin that I know. It's not mm-hmm. the Green Goblin from the Spider-Man movie with a armored suit. It's the Green Goblin. Or Ranger they, Goblin. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. He's great. Like he's this. This is the Green Goblin that I know and love with the scaly costume. Did you ever see the just as a slight segue from it? Did you ever see the test footage for a different Goblin mask for the first Spider-Man? Mm. Oh, no. And it was very Goblin-esque, like yeah. that, and it was animatronic, animatronic. Yeah, and you could see like the big eyes bulging up and coming down, but they decided not to use it in the end was a shame because I, I know exactly what you're saying it looks a lot more menacing like this oh he's very much so but it's 
and it, you know he takes Peter by surprise and he's he's taking him down with his finger blast and with his pumpkin bombs and then the shirt is blown off Peter and he sees the costume underneath and he's like ah. <laughs> you know and uh, then Peter gets the better of him and of course what happens at the end of the issue is uh, Peter does get the better of him but that, and that was classic of Spider-Man at the time is that Osborne and Green Goblin were two different personalities and Osborne could never remember so he would wake up going oh Peter I'm so glad you're here what what happened and Peter was like what, what? you know so uh, so yeah it ends up with you know it's very very good and it ends up with a lovely Captain America moment where where Peter where, where Spider-Man and Cap talk about their, their mutual power and responsibility and whether or not they should be in Vietnam uh, you know you know, uh, Cap ends up going. I don't know if this war is right, but uh, you know, but I do know that people are dying, and our country's name and ideology are tied to it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he, you know, he sort of feels that he needs to be there, and it's you know, it's it's a really lovely, lovely issue. It's a really lovely issue, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the issue that you've read, issue two, which I've got me pull. Mm-hmm. Just flicking through it there quickly, is there a distinct lack of adverts? This is something I noticed in the well, second issue. I know there's one right at the end there, Hickman thing too. but there's um, not very many. No, they're all they're all Marvel adverts. There's lots of double yeah. pages, which yeah, there are. Um, and I noticed this reading the second issue today. There's very minimal adverts, which I love. Um, the the last couple of pages were a wee bit shocking because you don't expect you know you expect a wee bit of a rah rah America thing, but. Oh, what you see yeah. is what you see is uh, some American soldiers. Uh, I think if anything, uh, it's the opposite. Do, do you think? Well, I think yeah. you know the soldiers themselves. I, I thought they did really well with the yeah. portrayal of it, to be honest. So, so just to, to put it in context, the soldiers themselves seem to be attacking, or at least be suspicious of a Viet Cong family. Sarge, Sarge, they may have an explosives. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, and he looks like he's going to shoot yeah. this innocent mother and two kids and holding a baby. And then, poof, he's hit with Captain America's shield. And uh, the soldiers are taken down. One of the soldiers says, yeah, I heard you'd turn traitor. Can't believe I'm seeing it with my own. And Cap says, shut up. Uh, you go back and you tell Iron Man these people, meaning the <laughs> Viet Cong, are yeah. under my protection. You know, that's that's not a pro-American government statement. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. a, well, yeah, that's I what, what, what Captain America, who's the symbol of America is saying is that Viet- these innocent people, these Viet Cong, are under my protection against U.S. soldiers. But I think, well, like to me, Captain America kind of represents. Maybe he's not. To me, he's not like a figurehead of America. He's representative of the choices that America can make. Maybe like he's he's not he's not just actually going back a wee bit. I thought Captain America might have been a better choice to have this issue I really enjoyed the um, couple of pages he got mm-hmm. and his sort of moral conflict with it but um, yeah like I really like what they did with Vietnam mm-hmm. and obviously Tony Stark's a dick probably like profiteering off weapons to the Viet Cong and American army obviously horrible man that he is but um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, no I, I get what you're saying Like, but yeah. I think uh, Cap Cap can sort of be anything. He doesn't necessarily have to be the rah rah. He's not really guy, not necessarily you know? the shell of the government like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, brave um, issue, great issue, fantastic. Very. I kind of, I really liked it, but what you're saying about the greatest hits was really interesting, for me because I, 
I don't know what I expected and I was really looking forward to it but I, I wasn't let down but I was like well it kind of wasn't it was different what to I what we expected expecting yeah. of it but I think it'll become less different from what you expect yeah because they're letting go of elastic time because oh, because, elastic. because it's, I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you it's going to yeah. be a big it's going to be a big issue in this series is yeah. you'll suddenly realise how important it is that that Peter Parker only edges yeah. six months or two years and every ten years or and sometimes not at all and sometimes more because yeah. you know whenever it comes to the 70s he's going to be in his 30s whenever it comes to the 80s he's going to be in his 40s whenever it comes to the 90s mm-hmm. he'll be in his 50s you know what I mean and that's what you're going to that's what it'll become less and less whereas right here at the start he's the age he's sort of supposed to be mm-hmm. but that's the age that we always see him at you know what I mean so I think that's going to become less and less what you expect yeah yeah great book really enjoying it looking forward to issue 2 my issue 2 is a similar level of quality I would say but I already spoke to Keith about this <laughs> I'm going to need to have a chat with him at the end when uh, when it's uh, when he's read it because I do feel like the, the, the greatest hits part of it it's an interesting it's pitch. slightly threw me at the end of issue 2 because there was something I wasn't 100% sure about and therefore I will actually look forward to chatting to someone with the knowledge that Keith has so yeah that was Spider-Man Life Story number one um, the next one we're going to let Roddy take point on being a child of the 80s he is in his element here he even said that I didn't have to be part of this podcast you know him, <laughs> him and Keith could just talk about this for three hours but I made sure to read it before we yeah, started the podcast we'll record, the, we'll record that one later <laughs> <laughs> so what are we what are we on so to? we are on Transformers number one and number two actually fortnightly um, title March yeah. has and it's going to be fortnightly for a while by the looks of it a bold new era a bold new era for uh, ID and I think for many people I don't know what it was like in the store but I think a lot of people just saw this yeah. Transformers was up to God knows what so seeing a new number one I think big time everyone just yeah. saw a jumping on point we sort of got it's t- an amazing jumping on point it's because uh, it takes place before anything we've really seen yeah so you're you're all, you're looking at the story you know what comes after yeah but you are getting what comes before and that's really exciting and what was what was interesting is that Alan was sitting down to read this and I opened the first couple of pages and I went why are they calling him Orion surely it's Optimus Prime mm. you know what I mean clearly Alan didn't read the story uh, so far story so far <laughs> but yeah well like how about I'll read it to you go for it before an endless war rage your, between your dulcet tones oh go. dulcet tones before oh maybe I should do the uh, Peter Cullen voice go, yeah. go for it <laughs> before an endless war raged between the Autobots and the Decepticons before Orion Pax took on the mantle of Optimus Prime before Earth ever learned about the strange robotic alien beings from Cybertron the Transformers there was peace there was society there was wonder join us now at the dawn of a bond bold new era there we go. Yep, sweet. So yeah, um, so you're basically you're introduced to Rubble, who I think we're all gonna love. He's sort of off the. When I was looking at it, he's sort of like a twist of the Bumblebee character because we know Bumblebee as maybe from like the new film as kind of like a lovable, maybe younger, oofy, yeah, young, yeah, yeah. like yeah. Uh, innocent character, and Rubble's certainly the same. He's. Newly, newly forged, forged yeah. yes and that's into, interesting interesting insight into how trauma transformers are made are made yes yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah uh, i didn't really know anything about uh-huh. that but uh rubble is very childlike almost would you say he's yeah, like oh curious. wow look at this yeah. and he's 
very excited to get into the new world and, and get himself into trouble when he's doing it. And yeah. Bumblebee is his mentor. Yeah. You know what a I mean? A very so, sort of old and crotchety Bumblebee. Uh, I get, Not necessarily that bad. Well, always, I mean, obviously. He's like, oh, this I mean, kid. are Transformers made at the age that they will always be or. You know what I mean? Uh, well, 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 if he's if he's will Ironhide always yeah. be always be an old soldier, or has he grown into an old soldier? I think he's grown into the you old know? soldier so because Bumblebee. I mean, I guess Bumblebee in some way is the is the introduction character into it. So we know yeah, Bumblebee. We're know comfortable him, yeah. with Bumblebee, whether you're a Transformers fan or a movie fan, or yeah, you know, you yeah. know Bumblebee. And Rubble is the point of view character because yeah, we don't know what Cybertron looks like. You know, we don't know about these things on Cybertron. But anyway, continue. And Cybertron is Cybertron's fucking beautiful. <laughs> it's lovely. I just find it weird to see Bumblebee speaking because my only most of my knowledge of Transformers should, is through uh, the awful Michael Bay movies, and I just always assume he, he talks through. Yeah, you know, see, so so for me that wasn't weird at all because the Bumblebee I know is the Bumblebee from the cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And Bumblebee. See, I have Bumblebee. the whole collection there ready to sit yeah, and watch so, through, but it's been so a while. But that double page spread was, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah just the, the 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 vista of Cybertron towards I guess Cybertron City. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I also liked um, being a cartoon fan, I think in the cartoon the first two Transformers you see are Bumblebee mm-hmm. and Wheeljack. And I know you don't get Wheeljack. I think Wheeljack turns up in the second one. Yep. Uh, spoilers, but um, it's Ironhide. Yeah, it's Ironhide <laughs> in this one. Um, but yeah, so you've got you've kind of got two stories running through um, both issues here. So you've got Rubble freshly forged, and you've got so they sort of Bumblebee showing him the world, and they meet Windblade, taking him to see uh, what do you call him? Taking them out to an, an outstation to that's their mission is to go out to an outstation to meet uh what do you call your man? Um the character who they find at the end of the yeah. first issue. Um, oh yes. Um whose name is Yeah, well it's a secret at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I turn pages with my fingers? Brainstorm. There ah yes. Brainstorm yes, appears yes. to be a scientist in their way out there. There's, clearly Bumblebee is trying to expose rubble to as many different things as he can be exposed yeah. to so he's taking him out to brainstorm because, to learn about a thing yeah weren't they saying he has a choice in what he can be uh, he hasn't decided what his form yeah, is yet yes which yeah. is another interesting insight into transformers yes, yeah. growing up you know like they get to choose on cybertron yeah like what you know and are, then from the what their you, role is as well if you remember from the cartoon their their shape that they took on cybertron was very different from the shape they took whenever they crashed on earth yeah yeah you know on modern earth you know they they ended up I think um, they had no choice with the the form they had on Earth as well because it was the the, the arc, ship. arc yeah arc one yeah, arc, arc one. yeah I think so yeah arc one? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Oh, great show <laughs> <laughs> Alan we'll just Alan put an yours. end to this yeah. uh, podcast <laughs> right now and go yeah, watch some Transformers so there's there's the rubble story but which becomes also, a murder mystery yes would it be fair so to say so they find yeah. brainstorm and rubble sort of in over his head at this point he um, finds the body well, it's yeah. interesting they yeah. find the body and then it, it comes into the second issue where they start to talk about how you know they've never harmed each other on Cybertron yeah. Yeah. for but, a long time but there's a back there's a political backdrop against this as well the other strand of the story yeah, which was maybe to. we're gonna find out what that is so we go all the way back and we see Ironhide and Optimus at the uh, start Orion 
Orion Pax. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Come on. Uh, and Someone was, didn't read the introduction. <laughs> I was explaining to. Uh, I mean, my 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 knowledge of the fantastic rock themed. Uh, Transformers the movie from oh, the eighties. Yeah. Which we, lion? Yeah, did the the yeah. opening. In which we discover yeah. that uh, the Prime mm-hmm. uh, is the the Transformer that holds the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that uh, Optimus Prime has always been the holder, has been the Optobot, the Autobot mm-hmm. holder of the Matrix. But this is before he has the Matrix, clearly. So yeah, he's Orion yeah. Pax before he becomes Optimus Prime. Yeah, uh, you know, but he still he still has some sort of leadership role. He does, yeah, which is interesting to see. But um, yeah, Ironhide's sort of talking to him. And he's like, "Are you sure about this, Optimus?" And they're talking about Megatron, and Megatron's kind of been doing his own thing recently. And it's like, can you two be friends and have talk, have a talk safely? You know, um, so obviously, Meg, like you're kind of like Megatron and Optimus were friends. Yeah. As but Alan rightly said, no, he said there's a bit of a Professor X Megatr- or, uh, Magneto vibe. Magneto vibe yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mutual respect. It's, I think they're both trying to achieve the same thing, but they come at it from different ends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when thing. I was reading this scene, I was just thinking of Xavier and Magneto the whole way through yeah the other thing is we never we, we hear the word Autobots but we never hear the word Decepticons it's always Centicons uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, they refer to them as a slightly different race yeah, don't they a, a Centicons a Centicons isn't yeah, it yeah. Uh, yeah yeah. but yeah like really exciting I really yeah. love the really love the art by um, Hernandez um, Angel Hernandez oh, Angel Hernandez or Angel Hernandez and Cache Whitman who mm-hmm. also did a few so that that would be a kind of strange thing because Cache Whitman has done three pages, and Hernandez has done pretty much the rest of it. So that could be like they all kind of blend together, though. I sort of thought. Is it interesting? Uh, is it um, the, op, the sorry the Orion uh, Megatron pages? Are those the ones that are done by? Because I think it would be fair to say that that's sort of ten to thirteen ish would be the scene between yeah. them. So maybe. That's actually looking at them. It's hard. Yes, to, it could be because I think that's exactly what it is. Because even yeah. even the color the color scheme looks different. different. Yeah, um, and then all the rubble scenes are being done by Angel Hernandez. Yeah, it definitely but, looks um, like that to me. Yeah, it's um, just a really great jumping on point. I'd say we're getting a bit of Transformers history. There's uh, yeah. the second issue we have. I that's the, jazz. That's Prowl. Prowl, Prowl sorry. Yeah, you're right. Prowl. Uh, jazz is sports car. Prowl is and Proyal was always the police car, wasn't he? He was the so he's the ultimate cop of the trans of the Autobots. I think so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I also love how the story is called "The World in Your Eyes." You know, like Transformers, obviously more than meets the eye. More than meets the eye. Yeah. I like in uh, the start of the second issue as well. I like the little story so far page. Yeah. At yeah, the very yeah. start, I think you could jump onto this series at any point, and then obviously backtrace issues for more. Yeah. They're doing a lot detail. of world building as well. You know, the idea that that yeah. the, the 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 stars, the 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 satellites around are transformers that have decided oh, that yes. they want to yeah. decided that they're end of their lives, and they've they're sleeping up there as a yeah. as a planetary defense system, and that you they're know ready all of to this go, does, yeah, if really there's any impending threat. Uh, yeah exactly and it's, more so importantly it's, and I asked Keith this and he didn't know do you think there's a, a romance in the past between Windblade and Bumblebee oh potentially because yes, when Windblade um, first yeah, turns I was yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh yeah I know Bumblebee yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, that um, I, not that I know how Transformers get it on but 
Yeah, Windblade and what's the other female one called? RC. RC, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, I think so. Yeah. I think there's a wee undertone there. Because uh, I'm pretty sure Optimus had a romance with someone. I can't remember who it was. Was uh, I'm enjoying Megatron becoming Megatron, the Megatron yeah, we know. Yeah. You know the leader of the Decepticons. He's, like he's really cool because he's not. It's not like maniacal Megatron. It's you're kind of getting to explore his ideals yeah. a little bit more and see and likewise with, with Optimus with Optimus yeah, yeah uh-huh. so it's I really, I really love the, this, the, the the murder mystery story and also the, the political backdrop are really interesting you know like, that, having just watched I know this is going to be a strange segue but having just watched Aquaman recently <laughs> I'm wondering if Megatron being attacked while he's making a speech is actually him doing that to garner sympathy oh, because okay. in Aquaman yeah. that's what Orn does okay. he gets the sur- the surface to attack him but he had paid Black Manta to do it right. so that gave the justification oh. so I, I am curious to see if this is going to well, be an attack on Megatron <laughs> Starscream it, yeah, it, it could potentially be you know because, because if they were going to aim for yeah. him they wouldn't have missed he's standing in one spot but the fact that it looks like a big enough attack that he's like who dares oh you know because to be honest reading the first two issues I was like you know, Megatron seems pretty decent. You know, yeah. But I want... fighting, fighting for what's right. You know, um, the Optimus is right kinda, to party. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or it's right to have a party. Of but I just, I just cups. wonder. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, or trying to, you know, guess yeah, ahead. But I do wonder if he like... sets it up himself so that, you know, it's like, look, they're attacking us. We need to, you know. But um, yeah. In terms of pure nostalgia, I think you've got it covered here because oh, um, you got yeah. Soundwave there stand in the background you got Wheeljack um, but you've also got something new as well which I really liked you about do, yeah, it like yeah. they set up like this is old Cybertron obviously but it it's new to us as readers and mm-hmm. um, like we maybe caught glimpses of it in the cartoon or whatever in comics but it's really really cool to see this um, this world before like everything went to shit basically yeah before. exactly yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah I can, really, I'm, I'm really great to sticking with this for sure. Yep. Plus, you know, issue three, that cover just looks ripped straight from Lord of the Rings. It does, yeah. Optimus oh, Prime opening the set of doors. Of, oh, over yeah. Over the doors, getting ready to come through. <laughs> Very Aragorn. Very Aragorn, yeah. I have yeah. to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, Transformers, that was a big surprise for me. I hadn't had the opportunity to read it. And then Keith was kind enough to bring his issues with him and I read back to back. You know, yeah. and I was they're straight quite, away thinking. Well. I still have issue yeah. three in the store, don't I? I'm thinking I gotta read that tomorrow. Oh yeah, I haven't read that yet. Me <laughs> neither. Um, yeah, so that was Transformers one and two. Very strong start to a new launch for the for the title. Um, we're gonna jump on now to what is always a bittersweet title to review. Uh, <laughs> there's usually months between a review of this, but. This issue just defines bittersweet for me. So this is Doomsday Clock issue nine. Mm-hmm. Um, this was released early March, and we're now at the end of April, and we're still waiting on ten, with no explanation, nothing given. It's uh, someone nothing, in our group. Nothing given, nothing gained. Someone in our group chat even played a horrible practical joke on April first by um, using Photoshop to alter a <laughs> Jeff Johns tweet to say issue eleven and twelve were coming out two weeks apart. Is that the one you fell for? I didn't fall for it because he wrote 11 and 10 instead of 11 and 12. Oh, so I knew someone okay. had done something. <laughs> but yeah, issue 9, the reason I love this issue so much, and you know, Keith's talked about this before as well, that sometimes Doomsday Clock feels a bit like a series of excellent one-shots. Mm-hmm. I am really curious to see what this will read, read um, when all the issues are available. 
But this issue, just from opening the first few pages, you can see why it took a long yeah, time to I, produce. Um, I think it was the best one I've read. Yeah, to yeah. be honest, it's it's probably the most coherent one in terms of the story and what it looks like it's trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, but as I say, the first couple of pages, the reason you can see why it took so long to produce, you start to see all these different teams all heading for Mars to confront Doctor Manhattan. You know, in every panel, the the sheer amount of love in every character, whether they're a background character or foreground. You know, on one page alone, Gary Frankstrom, Hawkgirl, Hawkman, Big Barda, Mr. Miracle, several Green Lanterns, uh, Cyborg, Black Canary, Flash, Green Arrow, uh, Martian Manhunter, Mira, Aquaman. You then turn the page. Yeah. Supergirl, Steel, Zatanna, Constantine, Swamp Thing. The whole Doom Patrol, <laughs> Batgirl, Nightwing, Red Hood, Katana, Shazam, Stargirl. I mean, the art on display, it's, it is worth it's waiting for. And it is exceptionally beautiful. Um, but yeah, they're all going to Mars to confront John. Um, Superman's still actually healing from uh, the uh, Firestorm incident in Russia. Jesus, that was last year, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was January. I think yeah. it was January. No, I was just saying uh, Keith had to, you know, despair there for a moment. But I was just saying how I agree with you at this point that Doomsday Clock feels like a real collection of excellent one shots, mm. and I'm looking forward to reading it when you know, mm. in two years' time, when the last issue comes out. It should have been a masterclass in uh, in writing when you're bringing together Watchmen and uh, the, the the Trinity. You know, DC Comics bringing together those two universes, it should have been easy to write, and it has been easy to write. What it's turned into is a masterclass in how not to release books and how not to release. Yeah. Not even not um, how to release. How not to release a, it's an event. Yeah. You know, this yeah, this this yeah. is an event. Yeah. Thirty years in the making. And the and the the wind has completely gone out of its sails. Yeah, I'd agree you with know, you. It's a shame because that's is, yeah. that I was saying that one there. It's like that's probably my favorite issue that I've seen yeah. so far out of it. But um, well, it's interesting you say the wind's going out of its sails. I mean, I I look at it purely from a you know retail perspective. Not one person has dropped Doomsday yeah. Clock because it's, I don't know if it's a case of oh, when it's out I'll read it, or if yeah. it's a case of I've stuck it this long I want to see what happens, or if it's a case of yes, it's annoying, but the quality is so high I'll wait. But not one person has dropped it, and actually, mm. we've gained three new people in maybe the last month mm-hmm. who have then backtraced issues, so they have loads to read. <laughs> Whereas the rest of us are just they're probably like, enjoying it more than the rest of us. Yeah. The rest of us are just like, just give us a new title. That <laughs> sort of uh, thing. I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to putting it all together. Uh, Issue nine was wonderful. You know, I like Guy Gardner's not a character I'm too familiar with, but as a cocky Green Lantern, I thought he was great. You know, being the first to attack John, yeah, and he's just yeah. like flicking them away and looking at the the ring and he's like I'm curious what's inside that and he just basically destroys Guy Gardner in a second um, I like that you're on the first name basis with Dr. Manhattan <laughs> the doctor <laughs> uh, yeah I thought it was a wonderful issue uh, I really liked all the stuff as well with Lex and Lois while Superman's still recovering from the Firestorm incident I liked that of course Batman is alive and well while all the rest of them are struggling and even the last uh, the last reveal I thought it was great with um, Black Adam attacking Wonder Woman in the United Nations. Yeah, there's there's such great stuff here, but you just know there's loads of kernels and little details that you're probably not picking up yep. on because yep. there's too much of a uh, gap between right. these issues. It's I think it's been the victim of 
of whatever's going on at DC at the minute. Yeah. And I think uh, I think the the layoffs that they had um, are part of it. And I think this whole Rick Grayson Nightwing story is a part of it. And I think Doomsday Clock has suffered from it. And I think maybe to some extent Heroes in Crisis has suffered from it with that change from having have been like a, a seven issue from series seven with two, became nine with two single, but that, the reason that happened was because they had planned two single issues a, a booster special and a Harley special yeah and then they ended up melding them into the one thing and you can find those two specials if you read through it it's five and seven I think yeah um, so yeah it's just been a, it's been a wee bit of a balls but the one thing I will say for Doomsday Clock and again this is not an excuse of any kind but we went back earlier we were chatting about how it's frustrating when a fill-in artist comes in or whatever mm. this is the one thing at least as as horrible as it is waiting and as frustrating as it is waiting and the negative you know press they're getting over it at least they've stuck to their guns and said look we're gonna uh, yeah. we're gonna let yeah. you guys stick with it you know because DC at this point could have just stepped in and went guys we need this finished yeah. we have plans in place for this ending look Gary you're too slow we brought in a fill-in issue uh, artist for issue 10 you do issue 11 yeah so at least they've stuck to their guns to it and you know I'm envious of people who a year from now will pick this yes. up and trade yeah. and just go yeah, yeah. well this looks good yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> as this, opposed to the two years we've been waiting Watchmen, you know, yeah. this, you know. as opposed to the two years we've been waiting but uh, yeah issue 10 I don't know I, I did my top up orders this morning for a month from now issue 10 was on the list I don't know when it's out it's out <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've given up trying you, to you have changed shops oh. <laughs> since this book started we have yeah was <laughs> the joke knowing you'll be in a new shop by the time you finish it? I think you might be right I think we'll launch the new store with a trade <laughs> um, but yeah to give some context I mean, Doomsday Clock started in November 2017 it's now April 2019 and we've had yeah. nine issues. I was, I was it's an excuse. Boy, then. I was, uh, was going to say... Keith I, was still in his 30s then. Yeah. <laughs> hey! I was in my 20s. <laughs> I was going to say I only had Tales of the Fractured Mind out and now I have a couple Everything. of books now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Taking over the world. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. For us. yeah. As frustrating as it is. And it's more frustrating than what you think and you, you relate it back to Rebirth. You know what I mean? And the, the promise of Rebirth. and Yeah. Dr. Manhattan being involved and Wally being the hope and we're seeing those two things Dr. Manhattan involved in Rebirth we're seeing that in Doomsday Clock Wally being the hope we're, see, we're seeing that in Heroes in Crisis yeah. and it, they, they're, they've delayed so much it doesn't it's not tying up anymore it's, it's just losing its impact as well you yeah. know it's you know as you say these issues should be event issues and the one thing you don't want to mess up as a company is events Yeah, you know because we've seen it too many times but but from one of DC's worst schedulings to one of their best, I think. It's, so, hard, it's hard to miss schedule so a single one shot. No, 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 no. I don't. I mean this. This yeah. is to me. This is a seven issue event, and this oh, okay. is issue four right. of that seven oh, okay. issue event. All right. Okay. So we're talking about Batman Who Laughs. Um, issue four just came out last week, but in March we were treated to a one shot called The Grim Knight. Um, by Snyder and Tony in the fourth. Yep, Snyder Tony in the fourth writing, and it actually had Eduardo Risso on art. Um, he's one of my favorite artists. He did yeah, a series One Hundred Bullets with uh, Brian Azzarello, which I'm a huge fan of. This is the kind of issue you don't mind a different artist in, I think, because it's related to the main story, but it's still its own thing. Yeah. When yeah. I, when I spoke to people about the Grim Knight, I just said to him, "This is essentially an Elseworlds story. If you take out maybe about 
two pages relating to what's Batman Who Laughs, how this links. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is essentially an Elseworlds about what would happen if when Bruce's parents were gunned down, if Bruce picked up that gun and killed the mugger who killed his parents, mm-hmm. and then still went on to become Batman. Although there is a great part where he's sitting in his study and it's a piss take of year one, but like a bat crashes through his window and he just shoots it. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, like, yeah. he's gone obsessed since, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's this is, as you say, it's a backdrop. The backdrop is the ongoing Batman Who Laughs story, but effectively what this is is an origin of the Grim Knight yeah. or the, Bat Punisher, as this, we fondly know. This is what Batman would be if he still had the same mission in life to rid out crime out of Gotham. But and still had all the same resources and same training, but was more than happy to cross that line and kill people. Well, it's more than that. The fact is that uh, one of Batman's key rules is that he doesn't use guns. Mm. And in this, one of his key <clears throat> rules is that he always uses guns. You know, that's, <laughs> no, no, the, that's uses, the rule. You he know? uses fire a couple of times as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I think this title as well. Just we're talking about Spider-Man life story being the greatest hits of um, Spider-Man. This is like an alternative greatest hits of Batman. <laughs> You know, as well as that aforementioned scene with the back crashing through the window from year one, you've got the part where uh, Bruce turns up to the Falcones and says, you know, ladies, gentlemen, you've eaten well, but, you know, from now on your feast is over. In the original year one, he just, you know, puts out the candle and lets them know there's a, a, you know, a dark night there, basically. You turn the page in this one and he sets them all on fire. (laughs) And he's like, yep, no one is safe. Um, But what's really interesting as well, story-wise, is uh, the Grim Knight is... Um, pulling a figure through the Gotham sewers, and you don't know who it is. He's got a he's got a sort of satchel over his head. What well, um, do you do if you read <clears throat> if you read the Batman Goddess? But what's great about it is he's actually dragging Jim Gordon mm. through the sewers. But this is the Jim Gordon of our world, uh, of sort of you know uh, the main DC continuity. But it keeps flicking back to the James Gordon who pursued the Grim Knight in his world, and you know even though he was banding together a bunch of corrupt cops. He still wanted to stop the Grim Knight, whereas the Grim Knight was happy to just kill everyone around him. And there's a great scene in the middle where he even says, like, you know, Jim Gordon's like, I'll read you your rights. And he says, the Grim Knight says, tell me my rights and I'll tell you yours. You have the right to bribe an army of corrupt officers to follow you on a fool's errand. You have the right to send them walking to their deaths in each of those arsenals you thought you were raiding. You've given me a good fight, Jim, but you're in my way. Um... And then, yeah, there's more and more stuff here. There's, you know, Batman, Bruce Wayne obviously having the resources to set up a huge satellite that as soon as someone pulls out a gun, their head explodes. Um, He really becomes judge, jury, and executioner here. And I just thought it was a really interesting take on, as I say, an Elseworlds story, essentially. Um, But what I also loved about it was that Jim Gordon is the one who takes him down. You say say judge, jury, and executioner, and I say judge, dread, and punisher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, did Snyder? So there's two very distinct parts to this book. There's the the scenes set in our world in the modern day, uh, in the current time where uh, the Grim Knight is leading Jim and is relating to Jim Gordon. Yeah. And there's the origin stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Snyder write one part and Tony the Fourth write another part? It's an interesting idea. And um, then the other thing that's interesting is the, the artist style is between one side one part and the other part are very different one's more painted yeah. and one isn't but there's only one artist in this and that's ever only one artist and only one colourist as so well he, those, so those guys have really varied their uh, it's gorgeous like all those yeah, 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 the painterly yeah, style yeah. of the Grim Knights world I think is outstanding um, yeah it's lovely yeah. very you know, black sad I, I, I don't know how many times we need to see Bruce looking at his dead parents 
but they still found a way to make it look you know eerily beautiful mm. um, but same artist same artist with yeah. a different style that's but fantastic. that's an interesting theory on the did one write one and one write the other if I had to guess if that was the case I would say Schneider's writing the Grim Knight with Gordon stuff because yeah. that's part of the narrative we're following yeah. Yeah. and maybe James Tinian wrote the uh, the back matter yeah. but <clears throat> yeah I'd say I love this I mean I actually read this twice the day it came out uh, thought it was wonderful and it's an interesting when we were compiling our list of you know what to chat about and despite the uh, list being sacrosanct uh, <laughs> we decided to throw that one in as well so uh, yeah <laughs> that was uh, Batman the Grim Knight number one uh, which forms part of the uh, Batman Who Laughs storyline so yeah couple of, D- next, Roddy. couple of DCs in there on to a bit of indie stuff now yes we have um so yeah, I believe this had, is one you you, you were recommending. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know I was all over this, and when I got it, I was not disappointed. Really, really excited for it. Um, yes, uh, a very brand new image number one called Little Little Bird. So, and when I read it, I just completely fell in love with it. It's so weird. So the first five pages and the first the stuff you saw in the preview book were like oh this is really good yeah this looks like a really cool story and then about ten pages in you're like holy what the hell is going on here (laughs) yeah this is nothing like I thought it would be but I love it even more Um, I read it before we started the podcast yeah and I'm really glad I did (laughs) Um, it also notes that Little Bird will not be in trade very soon uh, so yeah. the only way to read it is going to be it's single issues, issues. because so they were the trade on this. they were doing some uh, weird thing because it's coming out with um, a French publisher as well mm-hmm. um, I can't remember who it was but they're doing they're probably doing the band Des- Destiny or whatever it's called so yeah they're, uh, they must have some sort of partnership going on I don't was that know. a little French Ronnie? that was little, oh, a, little French. <laughs> a little bird French really bad yeah oh Cal would appreciate that uh, <laughs> but anyway yes yeah, so in terms of the story we're sort of going Rocky Mountains of Canada but it's a dystopian world future of some case everything's kind of gone wrong so they're kind of going back to primitive nature there's sort of like an, an indigenous people gone wrong or gone right maybe bit of both I yeah, think. yeah yeah um and then so the art um so it's written by darcy van Poolgeest, who was a filmmaker who hasn't written a comic that i'm aware of before and uh the art is done by ian bertram who's a fantastic artist who did this dark horse series which i will recommend until um which no, is what no longer breathing it's called um, House of Penance oh you've mentioned that before it is, yeah um, uh-huh. it's the same sort of art style it's uh-huh. the same there's something sickly about it that I can't quite describe but it's so gorgeous at the same time it's this kind of weird otherworldly but it's kind of got a cartoony thing going on same same as this but it's a lot more gothic House of Penance is maybe a uh-huh. bit more yeah I think it's set in 1900s America, so it's very like gothic. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, go on. I think just a special mention as well, just the colorist Matt Hollingsworth. Yeah. On this book, um, 
Matt Hollingsworth worked on some amazing books. He did the Hawkeye run with David Aja mm-hmm. and Matt Fraction. Yeah, his colors done that. He's done Batman. He's done Daredevil. Um, Witches. Yep. Uh, Alias. You know, so he's. Uh, I think he's a big part of this as well with the success of how beautiful this book is. So yeah. It's a place with color oh a lot. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a bit of a there's a there's a, a bit of a Duneness about it as well. Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah, it's a good show. Uh, and you've got a wee like a lot of religious. Stuff yeah, going iconography on. and yeah. yeah, the the you know it seems there just seems to be that that uh, in the the United Nations of America has a, has become a an ultra religious uh, in, in the new Vatican as well. Yeah, it's become the new the new center of 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 uh, some sort of uber uh, novo Catholicism. Yeah, um, in the new Vatican. Yeah, and. Uh, so it seems like anyone within the religious order lives quite well, but then there's this indigenous people outside in the Rockies in Canada that live yeah. by their mean, by their own means, by themselves. And then we they're cut, under threat. Cuts a little bird who's on her own. Who um, she's searching for her uncle, I think it is, who is possibly a grandfather. Or it could be, yeah. yeah. Um, she's lost her dad, and st- the story sort of goes from there. But um, talking about it won't do it justice. Mm. You need to go into Coffee and Heroes and look at the art because it's absolutely gorgeous. It's very visceral. Yeah. Very visceral. Uh, uh, very dystopian, a wee bit post apocalyptic, but a wee bit. There's a. But. A, like a Scandinavian not thing because going on. At the end, you get this weird sci fi mix and you don't know yep. what the hell's going on. And then it goes. The colors are. I think it's got every color of the. <laughs> the color spectrum, you know? Reminds it's, me a wee bit of Invincible and stuff. Some of the stuff that's going on there. Oh, really? Yeah. And then it's got. There he is in a big Canada t shirt. Axe. <laughs> With an axe shaped Canada flag. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't really know what to say because um, I just want people to read it because it's utterly. You're just turning gorgeous. pages and looking. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of religious iconography, as you said. There's um, over the top violence. The violence is almost comedic in places as well. There's yeah, strange character designs. There's, you know, blood-soaked pages. There's the main character hardly speaks. There's a really yeah, great yeah, yeah. twist to the story as well, like in issue one. I'll yeah. be curious to see if that carries over to issue two, which just actually came out this week. Um, I've got sitting here, but I purposely didn't read because I don't want to get it confused. <laughs> um, you know, big hulking artwork. You know, larger than life characters. It's uh, it's everything an indie book should be, I think, because it's uh, it's tonally completely different to anything the big two could yeah. ever pump out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never very be. very good. Uh, you you recommended this, Roddy, and I'm glad I had a chance to read it. I didn't know what I was recommending though is the only thing I just thought can be hard this with looks indie like books. a really cool book and you sometimes just get a film with indie books I find yeah you know yeah. whether it's the creative team or whether it's just even just as you say the cover artwork um, I mean this is going to be a limited series it's just going to be five it's issues fine, yeah. and, and as, as they say it will not be they'll not be trading it yeah because why what was the reason for it just um, well it says so on the on the on the back page there, Roddy. I um, think it's it's a similar idea to Barrier as well, the uh, Brand Cave on title, and they released the five issues, but not 
a trade. This, this might be a good time to mention that Little Bird will not be collected in a typical trade paperback any time in the near future, so uh, the most immediate and cost-effective way to read the story is going to be right here in the individual issues, and that's kind of nice to see. So they've got their own thing going on? They're just trying to be... Yeah, maybe. <coughs> trying to be a little different. different thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you can source it, if Alan can get you a copy... Yeah, I'll definitely. be. I'll definitely be getting a few more copies of it. And if Alan can't get you a copy, who can? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't be going anywhere else now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's Little Bird number one. Um, we moved away there from DC, but we're going straight back. Uh, but this is this is an interesting issue we're going to jump into because this is a series I actually do read and collect, um, primarily because it's spun out of Batman Fifty, The Wedding, and so forth. Um, there was a wedding no there wasn't the series of course being Catwoman and a Catwoman primarily has been Joelle Jones writing and on artwork the reason this one caught my attention I thought I'd, I'd throw it in as a, as a great issue was that this is written by one of your boys yes <laughs> I actually oh, I, don't know if he's my boy, I actually texted Roddy <laughs> yeah. the day this came out saying did you know about this and I didn't um, um, yeah Ram V very exciting up and coming writer who I'm pretty sure I've talked about on this podcast with uh, Paradiso and Image um, These Savage Shores for Vault which is a fantastic series excellent series so far and um, we were just saying he's got a he's he's in Marvel this week he was a War Stories for War of the Realms or something uh, War like Scrolls. that yeah. War Scrolls yeah, yeah Wolverine story in there um, and, um, he's certainly a guy to watch and just kind of makes sense with our fellow writers not um but yes yeah. well that's this is it this was a great example i thought of just an issue with it's a one shot essentially it's literally just to do with the heist that catwoman has to pull off as long as you know the basics going in who selena kyle is who catwoman is you can enjoy this issue and never read another catwoman issue ever again yeah um it, to me it had a very oceans 11 vibe to it it was all about a cool heist you know there's there's this dance motif that runs through it, the whole cha-cha-cha. Yeah. I thought the art by an artist, I must admit I'm not overly familiar with, John Timms. He isn't the regular artist either. No, uh, but I thought the artwork style was beautiful. And again, you know, special mention to the colours. There's a great scene in the middle where Catwoman's fighting a couple of goons and it's on a nine-second countdown. It's all just yeah. deep blacks nine, and deep nine reds. Panels. Nine panels, panel nine per panels. second. Nine panels, that's exactly like Ram, Ram what... loves his nine panels as well. And Roddy, and Roddy really hates nine panels, but that's oh, for no, a future there's podcast. Oh, no, there's a wee nine panel in The Soul of the Sea. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, spoiler alert there. Like, but, yeah. You heard it here first, yeah. guys. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. Just as It's just a wee cool little one-shot. It, it doesn't really continue any story with Catwoman. It's no, just... Almost seems like a transitional going, issue yeah. between arcs. But the thing about it is, I thought it was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, that was Catwoman number nine. Um... So we'll move on to another wee indie title and sort of chat about a couple of issues for it. Uh, this is a, a TV show that I'll be honest, I've only just started to watch at the behest of Paula because she has moaned and moaned at us to watch it. Uh, but this was a gap in my pop culture, I have to say. It's a gap in mine, I've never seen it too. So, <laughs> um, so Keith wanted to uh, to showcase this one specifically. Well, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You know, I uh, back in the day, whenever... Uh, Buffy first came on um, I was uh, attached to someone who was really really interested in it and I wasn't so interested in it um, but 
I should have been interested because we all know what what Joss Whedon has become. You know, the writer of of Buffy. You know, through you know Angel and Firefly and. Uh, onto some of the some great movies, uh, some comic book stuff, uh, you know, some Star Trek stuff, you know. So he's really, you know, but what they've done. So the I guess we're looking at the first three issues of Buffy. Uh, so originally created by Joss Whedon, um, written by uh, Jordi Belair, uh, pencils by Dan Mora, and colors by uh, Raúl Angula. And what they've done with with Buffy is they're kind of it's Boom Studios, and what they're doing is they're updating. So Buffy was what nineteen nineties, yeah, yeah, late nineties, one say ninety seven, ninety eight. And it's actually it makes you realise just how things have moved on because <laughs> you know none of the Scooby Gang and Buffy had mobile phones mm-hmm. because mobile phones weren't really a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And how different the world would have been for them if they'd have been able to call for help on their mobiles anytime they wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so what they've they're, they're sort of updating. Buffy so to the modern. What you're saying is Buffy has Twitter. Buffy has Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, Buffy has a has a phone. It's kind of, I guess, very similar to what Marvel did whenever they launched the Ultimate Universe, where you know Peter Parker and their and our universe was a 16 year old in the 60s, mm-hmm. and in the Ultimate Universe, which was current at the time, he was a 16 year old in the 90s. Uh, so yeah, suddenly, yeah. Uncle yeah. Ben was an aging heavy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Aunt May was you know an aging heavy, and you know. <laughs> Peter was growing up in a time where technology had moved on a bit and so it was more current for teenagers at the time and the, the whole idea of the Ultimate Universe was for for kids at the time to get into Spider-Man mm-hmm. for him to be accessible to kids at the time because you know 16 year olds in the 90s would understand really yeah, more what yeah. that was about so I think that's kind of what they're doing with Buffy uh, in this, in this they, they did was it Boom or was it IDW that did Buffy season 7 and season 8 and uh, season was 9 boom. was it Boom so they still yeah. have that license but um, it's really it's really good it's really entertaining it's Does a weird it? one because Buffy is Boom but Angel and Faith is Dark Horse yeah okay um, yeah. so there's a bit of uh, cross pollination between them and is the Angel book that came out this that's Boom that's Boom yeah, yeah so there's something going on there but we all know the story Buffy <laughs> You know, uh, Buffy. Is I don't the, know the story though. So Buffy is the Buffy. Is <laughs> I'm only two episodes ahead. I've seen, well, I'm like a, I, I actually want, I've seen the film. The original movie, never seen, which doesn't which doesn't have a lot of yeah, to never, do with the the TV series. series. You know, and it's it's a great example yeah. of, of whenever you can, you know, the t- whenever people think about Buffy, they think about the TV series. They don't think about the original Christie Swanson movie. Even ever it came first, <laughs> you know. So she's, uh, you know, she she lives in. Uh, Jesus, what do you even call the town? Uh, I can't even. I can't even bloody well, remember. Get Paula on the phone. Middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know. But she is the slayer, you know. Her her job, her her her. Uh, you know, into every generation, a slayer is born, a chosen one. They alone will stand, uh, will wield the strength and the skill to fight the va- sunny deal. Thank you very much <laughs> to fight the vampires, demons, and the forces of darkness. Uh, to stop the spread of evil and the swell of their numbers they are the slayer Buffy the Vampire Slayer so um, so they've really updated this they've got the up to date Scooby gang they've got uh, Giles is very much the same individual that he always was he's her watcher uh, Buffy really is a wee bit uh, she loves kicking ass but she's a wee bit out of her depth when it comes to the knowledge of exactly what's going on and yeah. they, they seem to be really pushing the story along in the same way as Spider-Man life story is they're really pushing the story along so they're introducing characters who maybe weren't introduced until season 3 or season 4 they're yeah. introducing them in the first issue 
so they're 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 just they're they're pushing it along and that we have um Xander and Willow becoming friends with Buffy very early on. She's an outsider and she brings them in and friendship is a is a key thing. They're bringing in Anya very all very early very early on and Cordelia very early on. Um but the first three issues have just been great fun. <laughs> it's, it's it's a really good, really lovely book. Uh how much of the T V show would you say fits into those first three issues? In the same way I think as as we said about about Spider Man is they're they're hitting all the beats. Yeah. They're they're making a point of hitting all the the, the beats and setting up the story, letting you know who the characters are. They're introducing characters who maybe weren't introduced to season three or season four. Earlier on, for example, Spike appears in the first or second issue. Uh the second issue. Uh and it's definitely the the James James Marster Spike. Uh it's definitely him, it's definitely the English you know the the man who I now know as the voice of, uh, of Jim Dresden. Uh, <laughs> you know, so he does all the audiobooks. Oh it? yeah, absolutely. Um, and as far as I know, Angel's going to come in very early as well. So, uh, really enjoying it, and I think I have uh, probably have Paula to thank for uh, for alerting me to the fact that this this book was coming on the market. Uh, it's got the feel of Buffy, but it's much more up to date. Uh, yeah, I say iPhones are a big thing, and technology is a big thing, and they're introducing characters a lot earlier than you would have. So things are just moving on, and I think yeah. So it's they're they're introducing original stuff, but they're they're keeping the beats of the story. Yeah. So mm-hmm. really enjoyable first three issues. I very much enjoyed, and I'm looking forward to what's to what's coming. If you're new to Buffy, should you read the comic or watch the show? Uh, if you're new to Buffy, you can read the comic uh, without ever having seen anything or know anything about oh, wow. Buffy. Okay. Uh, but I think like the Marvel movies if you've you know the comics and you're well if you know the series and you're you're in Buffy's case if you're you know the series and you're reading the comics you'll get a wee bit of added value because you'll be like oh but that happened such and such and that you know so so yeah so uh, so yeah immediately whenever I saw this I uh, I got in touch with my buddy Donna who was uh, who was the, the person who introduced me to Buffy mm-hmm. and went this is the thing you probably need to read this and she was like ooh <laughs> so so yeah uh, well worth a read cool well we may as well continue on with the whole franchise idea obviously Buffy yeah, is a uh, is a way of, Buffy is a way of updating you know a tried and trusted franchise uh, we threw in the previous podcast once or twice this series but it's now come to an end yeah. um, all five issues are now available um, and this funny. is sort of the movie that never was yeah, the movie that never was Alien Three: The Unproduced Screenplay by William Gibson. By William Gibson. He of Monster. Yes, and then Johnny Christmas and Tamara Bond villain, possibly the greatest, uh, <laughs> the greatest team in comic book Christmas history. Christmas and Bond villain. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe we should do have a wee chat about the entire series. Um, I was definitely one I was very excited for. And I think it delivered for me. Yeah, yeah. Dark, dark Horse yeah. in general. I mean, they're really delivering on the alien stuff. You've talked before about Dead Orbit. Yeah, for example, uh, Resistance is really good. I think it's gonna, it's finishing up very soon. Yeah. Then there's a sequel series to the Aliens Rescue, which will be coming out. It's gonna continue on Alien Resistance yeah. storylines. Um, I mean, the background for Alien Three, of course, David Fincher movie, famously troubled production. Yeah. 
Um, this was the James screenplay that never was. Yeah, I mean, James Cameron absolutely hates Alien 3 for the simple reason that he spent the whole movie of Aliens keeping yep. Hicks, Newt, <laughs> and Ripley alive. And off screen, Alien 3, they killed Hicks and Newt and just continued Ripley's story. Yep. But, but in this, they didn't. They didn't. No, they did not. So, but, well, obviously, going through it, number five was our March release, just to keep continuity, right? Yeah, you know, but let's, uh, we're, I think we're looking at a series, a series gonna, overview we're here, We're going to go we? through the whole thing, so, yeah, it starts off, I forgot to do the opening. <laughs> there you go. That's all it. Isn't uh, opening the sellotape on comic books very therapeutic? Only if you close it around Mr. Miller, you're in trouble. Oh, is that is that a some shade? Being that's that's that's, no, 30, that's a fact. That's yeah. thirty years of comic collection. Some that's I would consider an adoption or an evolution. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. You don't keep making the same mistakes twice. There you go, listeners. All five issues present and correct. Yes, all. Bags tipped up, yeah. I'm I made sure to tip mine up. I got okay. told off earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so he wouldn't tell you off, would he? It was maybe a stern look. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So basically, I think we all know the story by now. William Gibson was tasked to write an Alien Three script. Mm-hmm. Producers didn't like it. Yep. They were like, nope we're not having that um, so they went with something else we're going to make this crap so <laughs> cut to what? what is it 25 years later maybe yeah, more almost, almost 30 it was 93 93 I think for Alien 3 yeah so 30 years later we have this um, 30 years later is 2023 so end of end of Aliens we had uh, Ripley and Hypersleep we had yep. Hicks and Hypersleep we had Newton Hypersleep mm-hmm. uh, we had Bishop, Bishop battered there, yeah. Bishop had been half ripped in half Bishop by yeah, the alien queen which we see here um, so we're basically we're into the USS Sulaco things going on and then you get there he is the man himself Bishop uh, I guess the USS Sulaco it goes through um, what seems to there's, there's two two factions yes the two um, political factions that own certain parts of space yeah um, i can't remember just there's the names a, of them. a very russian yeah the united so oh, it's it's lost to me they're definitely yeah. a bit more communist yeah. or socialist yes, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 and uh, they this the 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 ship the ship that uh the, the sleeper ship goes through their their uh territory, their territory. they board the ship and, and boarding the ship some of their people get infected yeah. by the alien that's infected Bishop so we've got the classic alien egg and the the sleeper the what do you call it the face grabber face hugger face hugger yeah you know and all that good stuff and then this, they, they're all killed I think and maybe they recruit yeah. re- re- one of them and then we're back into Wayland Jitani space yeah and so if you like, I think the really good thing about this was it managed to balance crazy alien stuff with the political intrigue and I was and that that, that initial you know that political intrigue is set up with that initial uh, sleeper ship goes through one territory and into another territory and yeah and then of course towards the end it's like hey we want to kind of weaponize this Wayland uh, Jitani always want to weaponize alien (laughs) 
But you know, um, where's Paul? What do you call him? Paul Paul Reiser when you need him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's um, there's some really visceral moments, as you would expect you from would, an alien movie. Yeah, we were um, we were going through it earlier, and I think uh, number five is probably the best in terms of uh, pure pure visual aesthetics because it has a person in a spacesuit with a helmet on and that then, has been it has been that person has already been bitten by a brand of alien because there's a couple of different kinds yes, of aliens we're introduced in a new new sort of genetically aliens, yeah new strand prometheus yes. prometheus-esque um, or is it Co- covenant as the new the new ones, doesn't it? Yeah, there's I think resurrection some new yeah. ones. And, uh, but anyway, so this lad, this swam. lad gets bit and yep. starts bleeding from all his orifices while he's in a spacesuit. His eyes, his mouth, and then the spacesuit slowly starts filling up with blood. And then not only is he bleeding from his orifices, but he's drowning in his own blood. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that is not that is not, by the way, something you want to read while you're sitting in the waiting room. In, at the gate at Belfast International Airport on a Monday morning <laughs> just saying <laughs> put me off for the rest of the day yeah. coming soon <laughs> best places to read your comments <laughs> and worst places but yeah like um, just a really <clears throat> enjoyable series they've better than just, the movie yeah <laughs> I have really fond memories of the film but it's probably more I had the video game for the SNES uh huh and I think it's maybe that that kind of clouds the judgment of yeah. the film because there's like kind of I do I don't mind the film but yeah like this is if you love aliens this is something definitely to pick up and mm-hmm. read. Yeah, it was. I felt like I mean I'm not really into the the expanded alien universe. You know, all the yes, stuff no, around. Yeah. You know, if it's if it's related to the movies, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and because this was Elite 3 I was like oh and because William Gibson's name was on it I was yeah, oh you know so definitely worth a read I'm, I'm kind of this is another one that I'm looking forward to grabbing all five issues and reading back to back yeah uh, because yeah. there's definitely nuance that I feel I lost between the issues for example yes because I'm kind of trying to talk about it I was like kind of well, yeah, what's I mean, going on yeah, here I mean, they, they set up that political intrigue in the, in the first page of the first issue and, mm-hmm. and then silly things like in the first issue you know Bishop was a character all the way through yeah but they've obviously had to rebuild him and he's been rebuilt with with a wonky leg with, wasn't it? well with uh, less durable materials Soviets so, for you Keith was it? that's the Soviets for you <laughs> that's, that's polycarbon material <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> polycarbon yeah. <laughs> you know it just so, became a political podcast yes, yeah. so his as uh, one stage his leg breaks and to me reading issue 5 I was like that was a bit weird and random and yeah, I don't know where it came from but, but then yeah. whenever we were reading issue 1 there I was like oh yeah they rebuilt this because yeah, he was, he was only he half, a, half yeah. a lad like yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway great yeah, yeah great 5 great. issues Yeah, very self contained um, probably the sequel they should have filmed yeah, yeah. Say most definitely did yeah, you check it out Alan? yeah I'm uh, I read the first 3 issues I actually haven't finished it off yet at this point so I will Some have to jump back on wonderful it wonderful covers as well yeah beautiful the, um, the hardcover trade that of it is coming out very very soon you got a variant for that so it is yeah. um <laughs> 
<laughs> just admiring the variant for issue one, which clearly gives away that uh, Hicks and Bishop will be main characters in it. Well, that's uh, that's a crap issue one, really. That really, the the the, eight, the five issues of lovely covers apart from that one. Yeah. See, to be fair, though, if that that's probably uh, a sign that you should uh, pre-order your comics because that's a. Uh, that's, that a, that's a last minute do you have any copies left of this Alan? <laughs> yeah. uh, I only have a variant yeah but that's fine that's who fine. could that be who knows you know. who knows anyway moving on yep. <laughs> um, yeah so that was the uh, Alien 3 unproduced screenplay um, we've got a bunch of other stuff here we'll just rat, rifle through them in quick uh, quick time a lot of honourable mentions Superman number 9 it's an issue we don't have in front of us but it's okay. fresh in my mind because another regular he comes in Kalen's a big Superman fan and he mentioned this issue where um, Jonathan Kent was stuck on a planet with a crime syndicate uh-huh. and I thought I want to read this it's great um, and I think we're, we're talking about Brian Michael Bendis on Superman and he's doing a great job Yeah, he's doing a fantastic job um, it's part of a larger story that, that came out of the Mr. Oz storyline yeah the uh, Oz effect so back in action effect, comics yeah. so and we know Pretty have have uh, Jor El has returned. Uh, there was a bit of a thing that may have involved Doctor Manhattan, may not have, depending on if Doomsday Clock ever finishes or is ever connected <laughs> to anything. Um, but get the digs in. So effectively, uh, Jor El returned and has taken Jonathan Kent, Superman and Lois's son, child, yeah. son, on a summer holiday, which lasts twenty-two years. Uh, three weeks for Lois and Clark 22 years for Jonathan and somewhat longer for Jor-El because uh, during that summer holiday uh, things go a wee bit pear-shaped Jor-El and Jonathan ended up separated via time and space in a black hole and Jonathan ends up in the clutches of an alternative version of his father who is the crime syndicate version of Superman who's yeah, called Ultraman Ultraman thank you I was trying to figure out what the U stood for in his chest <laughs> Ultraman and uh, he he captures him and tortures him and keeps him inside a volcano away from the sun so he's not being so his powers are dwindling bit yeah, by bit exactly great story Fantastic. just a really interesting sort of idea of you know normally Clark Kent Superman would be the person that Jonathan trusts the most in the world mm-hmm. and yet here's this face that he recognises that yep. he trusts that he loves mm-hmm. and this person has just tortured him to within an inch of his life it's really interesting sort of look at sort of the whole idea of multiverses and different versions of the same character and so forth mm-hmm. I don't read Superman personally but it was just when I heard about this issue it really intrigued me mm-hmm. and then the issue ended with uh, Jonathan escaping but then bumping into who would be his mother because Lois Lane is uh, Superwoman in uh, the crime syndicate and she's an evil superwoman (laughs) so it's uh, he's just like oh I just got away from dad oh no here's mum but when he suddenly realises it's interesting he suddenly goes well you know what it's told me that I don't have any mummy issues because you know all I could think about whenever I saw the two of you your your two doppelgangers was oh god I miss my mum and dad (laughs) but but Jonathan Kent is great Jonathan Kent is now he's gone from being a child he's a great character as a child you know in the super sons and so forth but he's now a 22 year old man uh, you know but he's not grown up yeah well, he, he has well no he has he's grown through those eight, those whatever years those mm-hmm. whatever so many years as a but as, as mum and dad just aren't good with it like they're yeah. like Jesus whenever you when left you, start, you were yeah. 
you're 12 years old or 10 years old and now you're 22 or whatever 20 whatever so it's yeah it's interesting but he i think i think john within kent is going to be set to become a major player in the dc universe i think so i think the way that story's moving forward well they've got their younger superman now with connor kent in mm. uh, young justice as yep. well so but yeah just reading this one issue as i said i don't read superman i read action comics which i love but just reading this one issue, I was like, maybe I'll just pick up this wee trade and uh, catch up. I almost feel like uh, Superman Superman is the action comics, what Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is the Amazing Spider-Man. There's mm-hmm. a wee bit more, it's a wee bit more smaller, despite the fact we're actually talking about time and space and dimensions. <laughs> you know, that to su- that's Superman's it's neighborhood. It's more of a family drama. Yeah, yeah, it's more family oriented. Yeah. yeah, it's closer and more, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, well, Bendis is killing it. Like, yeah. Well, definitely. Um, another DC issue you enjoyed yourself Flash 66 yeah I'm really enjoying Flash and the reason I pulled this is because of something we said earlier on in the week is that Joshua Williamson's run on Flash is one of the most underrated runs in comics at the minute yeah uh, he's been on this for 66 issues more or less he's been it? on the Flash as long as Tom King's yeah, been on Batman absolutely. But, and everyone looks at Tom King's run as this massive achievement of one writer one vision the whole yeah. way through it and seems to forget that Josh Williamson has written every single issue of Flash since since Rebirth, you know. And uh, so what this issue does, Flash Flash sixty six, uh, the trickster is one of uh, Flash's rogues, and I'm really only I've really only got into Flash these last sixty six issues. Uh, I've been following it since since the start, and I think probably because of the TV series. Yeah, you know, um, it's Barry Allen. Um, and we're the the trickster is the I guess he's a, a riddler esque sort of a, he's got lots of different wee tricks up his sleeve and uh, technological flying shoes and this that does that and that that does the other you know all, all all sort of tricky stuff but it's kind of an origin of the trickster and it's a wee bit it seems initially to be a wee bit tragic he's a he's an abused kid and his parents are they're nearly like a dark version of uh, Nightwing you know of, of Dick Grayson's parents oh, and the Flying yeah, Graysons yeah. they want to be the Flying Graysons but rather than him wanting to be involved he's scared of heights and they're kind of abusing him and beating him up the ladder and you know trying to you know he all he wants to do is read books and it's it's a really nice it's a really nice story it's a well obviously if any story about abuse can be nice they're just battering up this ladder really, and it's but really it's nice uh, it kind of it kind of it kind of twists at the end a wee bit because it, it it gets into the, the the current flash so we're looking at this origin of jesse jesse james the trickster and then uh his his sequel his uh the guy who's his aunt, the guy who, the next trickster um you know but then there's this moment the whole way through that the trickster has been tricking you even as a child you know he's been tricking his parents and everything else and the whole time he's actually really been a professional at walking the high wire and it's it's really good stuff you know it's all about it's all about tricking the reader and tricking the parents and you know it's yeah it's a very good uh, very good almost could be a one shot story just an origin of the trickster but it ties into what's going on in the flashbook mm-hmm. uh, at the minute so uh, yeah well worth picking up Flash I would say yeah that was Flash 66 uh, we had the very welcome return of Farmhand uh, Rob Gilroy's book about a farmer who can uh, grow human organs uh, the first trade was uh, a recent release, just quirky, offbeat. Oh, so good. Um, excellent, excellent title. It's uh, 
it is one of those ones that we were chatting earlier about the image model of how you know a new issue of a series will often coincide with a trade mm-hmm. um, certainly close together we're, we're talking before about you know the big two and their lack of being able to stick to a schedule and so forth Farmhand's one of those books that's got the same writer and artist and yet he still has the balls on the back of the cover or on the back of the issue to go here's your checklist here's the dates it's out I'll see you then to the day yep. yeah and, they, and he has not missed an issue. I thought so like they take a break. They but it doesn't feel like they take a break. Yeah, they took a break was for it a few like months. A month? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought this was a strong issue coming back. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, I mean, it, it picks up where it where it left off. The the cliffhanger in the last issue. There was a double cliffhanger. I guess that people started arriving in the town who had been infected with the god seed. Yeah. Uh, the, the the seed that uh, that Jebediah Jenkins. Uh, Created, created, and and then the other cliffhanger was that uh, the mayor of the town, Monica Thorne, who seems to be linked with Jebediah, mm-hmm. uh, she seems to be completely infected by the thing. You know, she's you know all plant thing, monster, critter yeah. stuff. She's a bit poison ivy on it. Aye, uh, you know, and, yeah, <laughs> she's, a bit a bit, she's a wee bit poison yeah, ivy on that. <laughs> You know, so. You know, and then we've got the the battle between the father and the son and and the sister, and it all seems to be we're we're starting to work out what's what's coming along, and the our protagonist's uh, son has befriended the kid who was the Russian agent from the very first book, the very first series, the very first issue. Uh, so it's, there's a lot going on. There's a there's a lot of world building going on, and. Uh, and things are starting to get a, after the first arc the first arc was very introductory but things are starting to get a wee bit more developed and a wee yeah. bit more yeah. first arc had quite a lot of family drama yeah I mean I think there's a lot to unpack in the yeah. Yeah. in the series uh, you know with regard to what they're doing in the God Seed and there's there's probably an allegory for stem cell research here somewhere yeah. and uh, a small town and the small town reeling against you know this new technology and what this guy's doing despite the fact it might be helping people or it might not be helping people and I think there's a very there's an environmental message here yeah. as well because the the seed leaks into the environment and uh, we're finding you know it's affecting creatures within the environment now within the ecosystem and yeah. how you can't connect so there's there's definitely a, a genetically modified a GMO mm-hmm. thing here going on you know so it's uh I think it's current. I think it's it's got a message, but it's a fantastic, fantastic book. Well, I really liked in this issue as well. Just talking about the family drama of it is that it's sort of centered around the whole idea of just going on a fishing trip, yeah, normality. And the last few pages are packed with comedy and great framing and beautiful artwork. Um, it's it's another one of those ones. It's it's very quickly become a trade that we always put on the shelves, mm-hmm. number one. Um, always make sure it's there. We, um, it's not what we thought it was whenever it started. Not at all. No. Uh, from the initial, whenever we first started talking about this, and we were like, well, this looks cool, Rob Gallery 2, which yeah. is not, not one that I'm, I've read bits and pieces of, but I'm not sure. I mean, I think we were thinking this is going to be a zombie thing. Yeah. And it's not a zombie thing at all, in no. any way, shape, or form. I think there's a, there's really an environmental side to it. and uh, It's a great book. It's fantastic. And it manages, despite the fact it's one of the most colourful books on the shelves, it manages to be quite dark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his art style. Just totally suits that sort of um, dark, twisted, you know, dark horror almost. Mm. Um, 
but yeah it's very similar to Chew in that sense as well and it's a great book that rewards rereading not just for the story but the background details of the art as well and uh, uh, Rob Gilroy yeah. puts um, little uh, easter eggs all yeah, over the place right. and then, I mean the concept that the whole the conceit of the seed is quickly escaping from them because at the end of this issue which is the first issue of the second arc you know they escape up this tree the family escapes up this tree in order to get out of the reach of this wild animal that's chasing them and they escape up the tree and they suddenly realise Jesus this you know so this tree out in the middle of nowhere is growing hands so it's clearly been you know so we're looking at you're looking at the idea of uh, invasive species and yeah. you know escaping from gardens and escaping from you know so it's, as a as, as someone with an environmental background that's really the whole thing really appeals to me great book Tim yeah. fantastic yeah and the next issue is just out that was yesterday's number 7 on April oh, really? 17th oh, good. and uh, good. I believe it's sitting over on my table there ready to be read yep um, yeah Farmhand great series I, I, as we said always keep the uh, the trade in stock in the store as soon as it sells just gets reordered again um, we had a, someone new come to the store recently a girl called Zara lovely girl she came in she ended up leaving with Farmhand and she came back uh three days there was like do you have volume two of this uh, <laughs> obviously then I moved into what the single nature or the single issue release nature of comics you need a pull list but uh, she left with two volume <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah farmhand great book definitely one worth catching up on um, another one uh, this is one I'm sure that Keith will chat about for at least the next uh, 72 minutes very very interesting release structure for this title now it's, I have to say it's a weird one uh, I'm not sure where I'm at with it so we're looking at uh, Lazarus Risen which is the continuation of the Lazarus storyline by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark um, we've spoken about it before in the podcast variously reviews and previews it's the same team but things have changed a little bit we've now got they're now going to be releasing it's, it uh, I think quarterly quarterly yeah, it's yeah. weird to see an image book like yeah um, quarterly as a, as a square bound 96 page um, spectacular <laughs> um, uh, I don't know what I don't know what to say about it it's it's one of the best books on the market it has been since I think it got up to issue 32 or something but yeah. the schedule started to become a wee bit spotty mm-hmm. and clearly they've decided that what they're going to do is they're going to release it four times a year as this and I don't know if it's going to work or not. It's not quite a graphic novel. It's not quite a single yeah, issue. Yeah, exactly. It's like a special. It's the same. It's the same size as Detective Comics One Thousand. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to work because there's a lot going on, and it's all happening now in a very small space. And I don't know if they're going to tell it any quicker in these quarterly books or not. The whole idea of that it's great because. Uh, what they do at the start of Lazarus Risen number one um, is that they sum everything up for you key players so it's actually it's actually not yeah. a bad time to kick off if you if you haven't been involved in Lazarus if you haven't got the hard covers or if you haven't got the single issues or the soft covers mm-hmm. this would be a good time to pick it up so the, the crux is that the world now lies divided now, not amongst political or geographical boundaries but financial ones wealth is power and the power rests only in only a handful of families in the year X, 16 families signed the Macau Accords, whereupon they divided, they divided the world and its assets among themselves. Individuals who provide a service for the ruling family for the ruling family are cared for and protected. They are the serfs. All others are waste. Every family has a champion, the embodiment of their technical and martial power. 
every family has a Lazarus. Um, the the book follows the Carlyle family, uh, and the our, our our hero character, our protagonist character, is forever Carlyle, forever Carlyle, who is the Lazarus of the Carlyle family. Raised as a daughter and a sister, she's discovered she is the seventh in line of a genetically engineered clone designed to serve the family as a weapon, which obviously affects her psychologically. Uh, her family are all, and uh, her next clone, she's discovered that there's a younger version of herself that's set to replace her, you know, should she die in combat, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, so the, the Carlines are very, they're about immortality and genetics, and there's, it's hugely political, there's a massive amount of back matter. Uh, Greg Rucka is a very politically switched on individual, and a lot of his politics are part of this book. It's a wee bit frightening. Uh, whenever you take out the science fiction elements, how close politically it is to where we are now, <laughs> because it's about yeah. it's about ultra capitalism. You know, it's about dividing the world based on what it's worth, mm-hmm. giving everything a value or a lack of value. So, uh, so if you're skilled and you can possibly help the family out in the in the territory you live in, then you are a serf and you serve that family and you're given a nicer place to live and you know, if you're not then you're waste, you know, and then you you scrape a living off the land in whatever way you can. There's no uh, national health service, there's no way of they don't have any they don't have to look after you at all unless you're of value to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's kinda Uber capitalism and so it continues the story that has gone on Lazarus but it sort of it reboots it in a very very soft way so you, you sort of kind of have to know the characters and the situation going into this there's a nice wee start to it but uh, yeah I really enjoyed it I'm really glad Lazarus is back you know and uh, even you know the back matter you've got you've got uh, adverts you know for uh, for personal security forces or for you know that have you know for, or for TV shows this is an advert for a TV show that's starting but uh, the marketing department have got a hold of it and they're going no don't use the word down don't use the word if you're using the word even make sure it's all caps you know what I mean <laughs> it's all about it's all about propaganda and yeah. you know how things go this has a has a text story at the end of it like the Conan books yeah. uh, which is really fantastic and then what's interesting is um, Green Ronan Publishing have uh, have a who are a role playing publishing company have released a uh, they had a, a I guess it was a role-playing game based on the computer game Dragon Age, mm-hmm. and they from that have taken a rule system, the, the same rule system they used for Dragon Age. They have made a modern role-playing game called Modern Age Role-Playing Game, and for that role-playing game, they have released a campaign setting called World of Lazarus, which right. was written by the same people. Oh, yeah, you know, so it's based yeah. in this world, and so the last couple of pages are uh, game stuff for the World of Lazarus game. So I'm really looking forward to getting a hold of that. Interesting. But yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. Lazarus, and then we've got some. Uh, yeah, Pretty, so. it looks value for money anyway. It, it is. If not it is. Yeah, no, it's 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 a fantastic story. Uh, I would highly recommend just getting the first three uh, hardbacks, just you know grabbing them in the store and then picking up where this left off. But I think you can pick up you can pick up from here really. I mean, if you've got any sort of what about you, you can probably figure out what's going on. You know, uh, he's also got a reading list. So all his reading, all Greg Rucker's reading list is all very. Uh, politically relevant stuff. Uh, he likes to the back matters all about current science and current politics and about joining how he gets to hear from where we are and uh, it's really it's really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So Lazarus, uh, now Lazarus risen. It's interesting. Image or playing about a little bit with sort of um, 
playing with traditional release scheduling and traditional formats because Lazarus is one example obviously they're going quarterly and doing these 96 page yep. books I think we've talked before about a title I quite enjoy which is called Sex by Joe Casey uh-huh. and instead of continuing the single issues of it because it wasn't profitable they're just going to release a brand new graphic novel once a year and they're going to continue the story um, uh, whereas with this this is something a little different so it's it's interesting yeah. this is something I enjoy about it you know they're not afraid to try something different outside the box I sincerely I sincerely hope that this is successful because uh, Lazarus is a brilliant story fantastic story and uh, reading it up until now has just been a revelation I, as you know I love world building yeah. and Lazarus is the ultimate in world building um, I think you would really, I think you as a yeah. writer you'd really enjoy it um, yeah definitely definitely worth a look and, and more part to them I hope, it, I hope it works out well I'll be sticking with it <clears throat> yeah and then just again I had a couple of little notable mentions just you mentioned world building there obviously Despite the fact the whole reason we do this is so that we can talk spoilers, Keith is not allowed to talk spoilers about the next one, because uh, Roddy and uh, myself both read this uh, in trade form, but again, world building, master. Uh, Oblivion Song, Robert Kirkman. Yeah. Um, I mean, likewise, I read uh, The Walking Dead in yeah. trade form. Yeah, well, so. this is where we're opposite. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But Oblivion Song, Oblivion Song uh, number 13. I guess uh, I mean if they're doing six issue trades this will be the start yeah. of the third trade yeah uh, and, and same again this came out the same day as and, trade uh, Kirkman has got no problem with the world building when it comes to Oblivion Song we know the gist of it uh, by now you're both familiar with yeah, yeah. the gist yeah. of Oblivion Song uh, the main character apparently created this rift in the dimensional rift that separated part of Philadelphia sent it to a dimension that's now known as Oblivion and swapped that same piece of oblivion for a piece of Philadelphia and had monsters running around and then the people who lived in that part of Philadelphia are now living in oblivion going what the fuck <laughs> you know so um, it's really it's a really a really nice conceit uh, the the main character he you now is driven by guilt you know it's, it's almost like a 9-11 style deal where he's you know he feels he's responsible for, for all these deaths but they're not deaths these people are living over there and he's trying to rescue them and then of course you know as you know now he comes across his brother who was one of the disappeared and you know his brother's leading a tribe of people who are now living happily in oblivion yeah they're free from the stresses of modern life you know as we know it and the pettiness and the making money and the jesus i'm sounding like a real socialist in this <laughs> podcast tonight. but uh you know they're free from all of these stresses that those not real things and they're they're in this place where they're where they're, they're surviving hand to mouth and they're they break there there's value in that yeah um this takes things a little bit further uh the end of the second graphic novel or number 12 changes things a little bit uh there's a real uh without spoiling anything uh, there's a <laughs> roddy has his fingers in his ears a, at this point there's a conclusion there uh, I'm not saying anything about that but this issue then has a time jump in the same way as Walking Dead had a time jump yeah. uh, oh. that, that moves things forward and changes things considerably so really 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 enjoyed Oblivion Song <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's another one that we yeah. keep in the shelves at all times Oblivion Song uh, Kirkman knocking it out of the park again other honourable mentions Middle West continues to be great um, yeah yep. it's it's kind of hard for me to talk about number 5 which came out in March because I just read number 6 last night it's part it's part fairy tale it's part uh, coming of age tale yes, it's it's, uh, um, it's to do with issues with family 
it's kind of an abuse tale as well. It's, it's not. It's not. It's it's kind of our world, but it's a wee bit to the left of our world. Yeah, fantastical. There uh, seems to be all these systems set I up in this world. Before I think there's an element of to me there's an element of Stephen King's The Dark Tower there. Mm-hmm. You know that world that has moved yeah. on or not quite. You know, it's definitely there's a there's a an ode to it's in the title. There's an ode to, to that's where where Scotty Young I think grew up was in the Midwest. Midwest. You know what I mean? And just these these fields of, of nothing but corn and yeah. you know the, the there's a there's a folk element to it there's a real folk yeah I would say you that, know yeah. element and there's there's a there's a sniff of hobo about it and there's you know, the, the joys of like working and living in a travelling circus there's you there's, know, there's been a road a, trip element to there's it. been a there's been a, a touch of Tolkien even yeah uh, with the troll and the bridge and the yeah, yeah uh-huh, so it's yeah, it's, the Hobbit, so it's, it's a cracking title, Middle West. Uh-huh. So it is. It's it's another one of those that's maybe a little hard to describe. Um, but the first trade of that's due out in June, I think. Grab it, um, grab it with both hands. Just for my birthday. Yeah, yeah. just oh, going to be the first yeah. six issues of that. When's so. your birthday? June twenty first. Oh, <laughs> we're both June babies. Um, <laughs> oh God, expensive month for me then. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so that's Middle West, another great one. We obviously I can't believe he was saying he's taking a smoothing holiday. I yeah, he said, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So we're very kind of, yeah. I don't remember saying yeah. that. <laughs> um, quick shout out Invaders continues to be great. Oh, Chip Zdarsky, yeah, yeah. really enjoying um, it. Thoughts on that, Roddy? Really enjoying it. I, it's wasn't necessarily critical of the first one. I think I said I wanted a bit more Winter Soldier. Was it? Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And number ooh. I don't want to confuse them. Three and four. four. Three. Four was the origin. Four is the origin, the, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the three. shocking, the shocking truth about yeah. Namor. Four is. <laughs> I was reading four, thinking the whole way through. Kate's having Nirvana reading this because yeah. it's it's plugging <laughs> it's gaps in Marvel it, history. Yeah, it absolutely it's the is. It's the moment he gets it, his uh, beard cut off. For me, it uh, it's it's doing exactly that. It's it's it, it feeds into Marvels, which is you know yeah. one of our favorites. It, it really is to me as I think I said before I think this is Marvel's 80 year anniversary book mm-hmm. you know what I mean it feeds into Jason Aaron's Avengers which is where Namor declared war once again on the surface world but we're now learning why Namor is, con- is why is he a hero and then he's a villain and then he's a hero and there he's a villain you know we're now understanding that so they're, they're taking all of the backstory of one of the oldest characters in the Marvel Universe the two, the two oldest characters being Namor and the Human Torch yeah and they're they're given they're given uh, I guess some sort of logic to his behaviour. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, really yeah, enjoying it. Great Vader's. book so far. Zdarsky so again. Zdarsky, yeah, they've just solicited as far as six issues. The the sixth issue is the end of a story arc, but I don't know if they're continuing beyond that. New previews book next month. I hope we'll so. See. I hope so. I love um, a wee bit of uh, World War Two era invaders. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, Invaders three. Next one's more you boys than me. Conan number four. Still going strong. Very very good book. Yep. Yeah, I think we we've probably said enough about it, haven't we? Uh, between that, between Conan the Barbarian <laughs> and uh, Savage Sword. So of I, don't, I don't read Savage Sword. Yes, should. So yes, should. Oh man, it's a, <laughs> it's a great book. It's it's at the same quality. Like it's yeah, it's right there. Um, yeah. Um, Jerry yeah. Dugan writing Savage Sword, isn't it? Yeah. Jerry Dugan writing Savage Sword. And uh, Jason Aaron writing. The legendary Conan. Jason Aaron. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. it's your boy. Yep. Um, 
Just want to throw a quick shout out, Batman 67. It was an issue that was uh, drawn by Lee Weeks, who drew Batman Elmer Fudd, and also Batman Annual 2. Um, This was an issue that a few people were a little bit up and down on because there's next to no dialogue in it. It's literally Batman on an endless chase throughout Gotham, and at the end of it he catches the Joker. Um, I kind of liked it as the whole idea of, you know, the chase is never ending, and there's never going to be a happy ending for Batman. All part of the night... It's part of the nightmares. Nightmares, yeah. Nightmares, nightmares. But what I liked about it as well was I loved the little, uh, I loved the little cameo for Elmer Fudd as a bartender. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Was I that th- a thing? I thought that was okay. a great. We uh, a great. We know to the last thing they worked on. Um, I'm kind of at this stage. I'm kind of looking to get back to the story. See, issue sixty nine will wrap up everything. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've said it to a few people. It's one of the reasons I brought up sixty seven. The nightmares arc to me has been very up and down. Been quite bitty. A little bit all over the place but 69 just ties it all together really beautifully and it mentions every single issue yep um so hopefully you guys will enjoy that uh cutting for hits number three was out in march yes to be a what, great a, title. what a what a title and we have now have confirmation that this is the first arc yeah of an ongoing title oh really yeah oh, it, was the, it was in the uh, in the, the editorial page in the back matter uh, he was talking about the competition that he runs with song titles, and he was saying, at least for this first arc, yeah. and I was I showed it to Alan, and I was like, yeah, get it, was, it was almost like a slip of the tongue <laughs> yeah. or something, or a slip of the pen. It was, uh, yeah, so really, really enjoying that. That's such yeah. a, you know, and it's, yeah, great book, fantastic book. Four issues in now. Um, trade solicited for June, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you mentioned it before, Marvel's Annotated, yeah. number two. Yeah. Continues to provide four, probably believe, the... Yeah. Uh, Probably provides the best value for money of any title on the shelf. Yeah, would, would you say Marvel's is, is your favorite Marvel trade at the moment? Your favorite Marvel story? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I believe you'd refer to it as Marvel's Watchmen. Marvel's Watchmen. Yeah. I don't think it's too hyperbolic. No. If you will. <laughs> Good for you, son. You're uh, <laughs> right. Every day is a school day. <laughs> uh, yeah, Marvel's. I mean, obviously, it's a couple issues in now. This annotated one. If you know, we'll always try and backtrace it if you need it, but this at some point there's some gorgeous deluxe edition. This more X Men focused, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. there was more mutant focused. The angel uh, cover, isn't it? Yeah, and it's. Oh uh, no, the angel cover. There's the some great, uh, some great panels in that that are just uh, lit up by Cyclops's ruby visor. Wow. The whole scene, fantastic, great stuff. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. uh, Marvels. We've we've talked about it before. Can't talk about it enough, really. And they're doing a new original story to celebrate the 25th anniversary. Yep. And then, of course, you've got the trade coming out. What is it? I have the camera. Is I have the camera, yeah. Which, uh, which I'm looking forward to reading because yeah, Kurt Busiek yeah, uh-huh. writing that as Not well. Not Alex Ross, so don't don't uh, be too disappointed. Yeah. But uh, it's got the same authorial voice running through it. I think it I does. Know. And I mean, your your man. Uh, I cannot remember who the artist on it is, but he's a painter and he's he's got his. He's, he's great at what he does. So does he try and ape Alex Ross's style? No, or is no, it not necessarily. Not necessarily, but he's very good at his own his own thing yeah yep. um, yeah so I think that's cool uh, oh sorry I, I can see one more even just sitting on top of the table um, on Roddy's pile one called Wolfborn oh sorry uh, this was a title by uh, Scout Comics yep and what was it called referred to again as Hellboy Meets Hellboy Meets Bone was it, was it Bone? Adventure Time oh, apparently Adventure. which is something I've never watched but I was talking to Keith earlier and I said there's something that reminded me of Bone in it. Yeah. Um, very whimsical. 
very whimsical very folk you can tale. read it in about five minutes um, took me all longer than that did it it's only going to be yeah. three issues because you're eating uh, Vicky's lovely curry that's what between. it was yeah. could it be not Could've a euphemism yep. Yep. Um, but yeah really just um, there's not much story to it just the man troubles just a to quest him. really isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah he's he's on a quest and he's got a lost love and he's trying to figure out everything but it's it's all in how you tell it with a beautiful it's just all one guy Brian Middleton Jr. who does everything but yeah really whimsical cartoon cartoony cartoon network almost style to it really yeah. we've got Samurai really Jack enjoy or, it. yeah yeah yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah if you love kind of fancy <coughs> stuff I'd definitely seek out to trade there's yeah. something a wee bit Norwegian a wee bit uh, uh, god I don't even know about that some of those tales of a man and a monster or uh, what am I even thinking Beowulf oh something yeah something a bit yeah, Beowulf yeah, about yeah. it you know along those lines yeah it was a good wee book as I said it's only going to be three issues then the trade hits I think the trade's going to be a lower price trade as well sort of around the six seven pound mark cool um, mm-hmm. but yeah I mean those are you know that's uh, a couple of hours of us rambling on about uh, titles we enjoyed in March um, we're just talking there obviously about trades and releases and stuff we've sort of come up with an idea for a, a new podcast just yeah. to get a bit more content out there um, it's actually something that Kieran had suggested to me and you know we're sort of looking at refining the idea but we're looking at starting the, for lack of a better term I suppose a book club podcast yeah um, looking at what uh, trade paperbacks they're yep. maybe 12 issues or so or, or yeah it's well known still refining the idea at the moment but what, what the idea of it is at its base level is that one of us will recommend a trade and everyone has to go away and read it a couple of weeks later we come back and chat about it um, go through what we liked what we didn't and maybe we could actually just thought of this on the fly if we announce it up front then maybe people listening to the podcast could send yep. in their thoughts as well pitch in yeah no absolutely 100% um, I mean I already know we, we chatted about it a little bit before now I think the first book we're probably going to do is Mr. Miracle yeah um, <laughs> looking forward be, to it yeah. we could uh, we could announce yeah. it ahead of time and then if anybody's interested they could tweet in or yeah, yeah. yeah. 100% yeah um, but yeah we were we were discussing sort of titles earlier I mean I, I think yeah Court of Owls will be one of the first ones I'd throw out. Yeah, I was thinking it would be, be Secret Wars, maybe Saga of the Alien costume. Yeah, um, I was saying Mice, so nice yeah, and heavy one. Yeah, good We'll be throwing out things like, like we'll, we'll even throw out things like, you know, Deadly Class or Why the Last Man, things that are longer form series, but maybe talk about the first trade and yeah. would you continue with it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's a, that's a new idea we're floating about. Let um, us know what you think. Yeah, Just absolutely. So there's because we were saying there's there'll be two weeks and then you've got two podcasts yeah then, sometimes like, there's a bit of a break and so. it's so I kind of like the idea of us doing this you know it, it being like you know reviews podcast then it'll be um, a book club then it'll be a previews podcast that'll be a book club yeah. um, it's just it's just people seem to be enjoying the content and as I say listen to us rambling on uh, with our Exciting geeky knowledge thing. well thanks for listening um, yeah. so there is that uh, aspect, but we're just going to finish off the podcast now. But of course, we can't finish it off without saying nice. six days to go. <laughs> For what, Al? For what? What comes out in fact, <laughs> almost six days to the minute. So we will be in a theatre at this point. We will this time next Wednesday. I'll be to standing Thursday. in line for my uh, coke. Roddy, will, Roddy will be sitting there for oh, two hours, geez. going, "I don't need any snacks," and then going around the grass. Wait a minute. I think I think it was it. 
was it was it Infinity War that I first met you? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> back oh, back look at that! Back years. when we were all yeah. young and innocent. Coffee and Heroes bring people together. Yep. Yep. You know, um, I'm gonna bring them all together again for Endgame. Um, we've all avoided boss. spoilers left, right, and center. I've seen, yeah. I've seen what the one trailer and the Super Bowl trailer, and that is it. Exact same as you me. Know, so I've avoided posters. Yep. I've never went yep. to such lengths to avoid everything for a movie in my life. Because I know I want to see it. I know yeah. I'm going to love it. I know, you know, we, we've talked about this before. The trailer could have literally just been Doctor Strange saying, and now we enter the end game. Show the new logo. <laughs> done. Yeah. Uh, April yeah. 26th. Job yeah. done. Can't wait. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I feel like, nothing. I feel like no matter what happens in this movie, everything changes after this movie. Yeah. And it's not like one of those Marvel comic events where everything changes. This, this feels like, yeah, momentous. Yeah, you know, this, yeah, yeah. I think this probably feels like the biggest movie I've wanted to see. You know, being a big Batman fan since Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Prior to that, Return of the King. Like this feels epic yeah. level. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot wait. Stuff. So, three hours and two minutes long. Uh, it's going to be a long night. Oh my! <laughs> Good for it. Uh, started last night with Winter Soldier. So, um, oh, wow. yeah. The the Russo said that if you can only watch a few movies before it, watch Winter Soldier, Civil War. Infinity War, and then yeah, that's it. So let's uh, do let's do Infinity War together next week. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Get a few beers yeah. together, maybe do it on the Monday or the Tuesday night, and yeah. uh, get caught up in that as if we don't know that movie right <laughs> inside and out anyway. Uh, so I guess uh, that's maybe us, and we'll talk to you after Infinity War, and then we will after Endgame. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're in a Infinity post, War Part Two. Yeah a post end game world um, so yeah that's Sorry. all from us this time and we'll look forward to seeing you in a post end game world yeah. and uh, it'll be a previews podcast after that yep yeah, sure it will be yeah. uh, previews book due next week so previews and then book club we'll yeah. test that out yep cool so I hope you guys enjoyed that and I hope you enjoy end game even more thanks for listening cool thank you Good see night. you soon nice it's my line <laughs> <laughs>